Welcome to the Modern Rustic. I'm Russell. I'm Zach. We are a community-based podcast from the heart of the Fraser Valley, where we have classic conversations about our current culture and the impact we have on it. Welcome to the show. Thank Thanks. you for joining Thank us. Thank you. Thank you. If you want, uh, you can go ahead and just introduce yourselves and we can get started. Sure. Okay, I'm Madison MacArthur. I'm president of Board of Directors for Bard in the Valley. Uh, I'm Dylan Coulter. I'm the vice president on the Board of Directors for Bard in the Valley. Awesome. And how long have you guys been a part of Bard in the Valley? I think since 2013 was when we did Julius Caesar. 2014. 2014. Yeah, 2014. So, so that was, we both auditioned for Julius Caesar, mm-hmm. um, and then we're kind of roped in ever since. So every year they did a yeah. Shakespeare performance, and both Dylan and I are kind of classically trained mm-hmm. in specifically Shakespeare. Um, yeah. And it was Langley, and we were really drawn to it. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. I live in Langley, so it was always... I'd, I'd gone out east to here in Abbotsford and to Chilliwack for a long time to do theater, and it was really nice to see something right in Langley, so that drew me to it. I think I saw the first production that uh, Bard in the Valley did in 2010, mm-hmm. uh, but I didn't get involved until a good friend of ours directed in, in 2014, and it's kind of been on and off for me. There's been some years where it hasn't been as easy to justify, but I always get roped back in. <laughs> back. Yeah. How long yeah. has Bard in the Valley been around? 2010 was the first year. 2010, yeah, 2010 was the first year. So okay. 12 years, although I think this is really our... Ninth, eleventh season, yeah, eleventh season, yeah, mm-hmm. maybe twelve. We missed one, twenty twenty. Yeah, yeah, of course. Oh, okay. That's right. yeah. I understand. The yeah. year that everybody missed. The year yeah. that theater missed. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. We were, yeah, we were. Um, the show that we're doing this year, like so many shows I see around, is a zombie show. The show that died in twenty twenty, <laughs> and then everyone uh, had to decide: do we let it stay dead, or do we bring it back to life? Yeah. And so I know I'm going to see Midsummer Night's Dream at Barn on the Beach tomorrow, and that was also supposed to be in their twenty twenty season. Um, but none of their other shows survived. They all they all died. <laughs> so, so yeah, we, we ended up bringing this show back. And I've seen a number of shows this year that were, you know, three years, four years in the making. Which wow. is just mm-hmm. crazy yeah. for, mm-hmm. for theater, especially for community theater. It just mm-hmm. does not yeah. happen that way. Yeah, I, I wonder what does that do for the show as a whole? Like, does it produce a better product? Or do you think that it being in the oven for so long is just like, you just get a burnt... pros and cons to that, <laughs> yeah. because you have a lot more time to think and stew on it, Yeah. Um, but you also can lose steam, which is super yeah. hard for community theater. I know, especially for, where, for what we do, um, we aren't, you know, actors move, especially actors who are... Know, doing this as a hobby or as something that they right. want to pursue but are maybe just mm-hmm. just starting to invest in, especially for live theater, you don't know where your life is going to be a year from now, let alone three yeah. years from now. Mm-hmm. So we did lose actors mm-hmm. that we had to recast, and we got very fortunate, I think, with some really strong actors who filled those gaps. But I have been in the position directing for BIV before where I'm like, I do not have this role and I refuse to play the role and direct the part I must find someone and it's really hard it, it can be really challenging mm-hmm. even even when you don't lose people to a, a pandemic but yeah mm-hmm. uh, I mean the uh, the other thing for classical plays you're usually cutting and pasting and rearranging them so that gave our director a couple more years to think about mm-hmm. cuts right. and stew and make a better show that way mm-hmm. so hmm. I think I've been very impressed with the cut so far it's really brisk and to the point and concise, which is not always the case for Shakespeare. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, it's it's interesting to see how the pandemic has, has been positive and negative. And we, we don't really have to spend money until the summer. So we, we didn't lose out on a lot. But right. if you're paying the rent of a theater, yeah, I can only imagine in yeah. big trouble yeah. in the pandemic. We're very lucky that way. Yeah, a yeah. lot of companies are gone. We had actually cast the show 
and then three days later the world shut down yeah yeah. um we were just about to push all the buttons to spend here and start building this and then we're like whoa let's just pause (laughs) i don't think i'd even heard the cast list i know and i probably could have reached out but i was like i can't even get involved in this i was cast in the show so i was like i have to let that (laughs) die right now and yeah it took years to come back so Mm -hmm. it's it's been an interesting journey we actually did a show last year more as like a well we don't really know if we're going to get to do a show or not so we put together a a smaller show that was actually the first show we did at the eco dairy and we thought okay well if we waste someone's time we're only wasting three of our time instead of a cast of 12 or whatever but and and to have a cast of three meant less exposure Mm -hmm. for oh yeah well i was in it and then the two other actors are siblings so that was two bubbles that we were combining um but it was really strange because that that show was the only show really going on of any people we knew who were in the industry so it it was very successful but it felt like people were coming out who didn't have any idea what we were doing right they just wanted to do something (laughs) yeah (laughs) which was 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 nice but it also um sometimes that's challenging when you're like yeah but we're, we're doing like classical theater (laughs) in this case it was a bit more modern but yeah i was gonna say that i imagine that that works to your benefit a little bit like i think a lot of events are kind of working that way right now like people just want to do stuff yeah and people are willing to try other things Mm -hmm. because they've just been cooped up in their houses for years now it does seem like right now the thing people want to do the most is get to that passport office and get out of the country (laughs) so so that does that does make it a little bit harder for us and there's a lot of plays we we don't usually compete with many people in the summer but yeah yeah. there's a lot going yeah there's what there's three different in mission and Mm. you've got langley and gallery seven and three different shows in abbotsford and it's just i'm thankful but it's an abundance and and i I wonder if part of it is that summer has been like this reprieve from covid so people are like let's do our Mm. summer shows yeah it's it's an elastic band right everyone's yeah tight and then there's the release right so everyone just we have to do something. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we are certainly feeling like, I, I don't know, I don't think we've had any any different reception than normal in terms of, of what we've been putting on stage. Very positive reactions, mm-hmm. so that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm ashamed to admit that... Uh, getting you guys on the podcast was the first that I'd ever heard of Bard in the Valley. I was kind of looking around to see like what was going on in town for that reason, because Mm -hmm. you know, it's been the pandemic. It's like, what's going Mm -hmm. on in town. And I found you guys. uh, So, and I'm sure there's some listeners that aren't familiar either. So why don't you guys give a quick description of what exactly you guys do Hmm. in your own words. Okay. So, um, we do. So Bard in the Valley is committed to free Shakespeare for all. Mm-hmm. So the whole premise of us is that we provide the service to the community for anyone who might be interested um, in watching Shakespeare or theater, yeah. for that matter, or entertainment, right? So um, so we guide, everything we do, we guide with that in mind. Yeah. The the fellow who started the company in 2010, his whole, uh, this Alan Thane is his name, his whole goal was mm-hmm. to create a Shakespeare festival in Langley in his home community uh, that provided access to to Shakespeare and we still do that today mm-hmm. um, we have through through efforts of sustainability of the company itself mm-hmm. extended that branch into uh, enterprises at places like eco dairy that are not free so there mm-hmm. is a, a balance that we're striking in in whatever mm-hmm. the company is doing as well 
but yes. But every year we go to Douglas Park in Langley mm-hmm, and we mm-hmm. provide free Shakespeare for the community. So right. you, I mean, since the pandemic, you have to register online because mm-hmm. um, we needed to know the numbers and we, we have um, fence around it now for COVID purposes. Um, but in the past, you would have just brought your lawn chair yeah. and your blanket and maybe a picnic and just mm-hmm. watch the show. You wow. can still definitely bring your lawn oh, chair. Yeah. That, we we love have, that. We had people doing that at the winery this week, actually. Mm-hmm. And awesome. uh, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting an interesting look at like the various communities that we're in. We've only just started to work in Abbotsford, but there's a lot of interest in Abbotsford from other organizations mm-hmm. we've talked to. So the Eco Dairy has been the best fit thus far, but it's... It's, it's such a strange balance for us of the amount of energy we have and the amount of places we want to mm-hmm. perform. So traditionally, we always performed in both the city and the township of Langley, either at the Fort Langley area or at the hall. But um, now it's it's been mostly Douglas Park and then Township Summit Winery, which is in South Langley and out here at Eco Dairy. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Do you find that you get... Is it all the same crowd at these different shows, or is it just Abbotsford people at Eco Dairy, Langley people in Langley? We would, we being connected to the University of the Fraser Valley, have a lot of Abbotsford and Chilliwack people who are connected to the show, and they now almost exclusively seem to come to the Eco Dairy. Mm-hmm. So at least they told us that they do. But the winery crowd is very different from the, mm-hmm. the Douglas Park crowd. And it's mm-hmm. fascinating to see the differences there. I mean, Douglas Park attracts a lot of families sometimes. Mm. Sometimes a dog, like, running up on stage <laughs> in the scene or, or some such thing. But, um, but Township 7, we sometimes get very Shakespeare literate people, mm-hmm. which is uh, great, fun. Yeah. Great, fun. <laughs> great fun. Great fun. Great fun. And, and it's always so interesting to me that it's a free show at Douglas Park. Completely free. But people will pay yeah. for a ticket at Township Seven because it's yeah. an experience. You're yeah, like sitting yeah. in the vines or having a glass of wine, and you're about to watch a Shakespeare show. And I think there's something so magical about that. Yeah, the company is somewhat dependent on on donations at those mm-hmm. those free venues, uh, free venues like Douglas as well. So we we get a lot of community support, not just from individuals, but the city of Langley provides like a ton of. They provide rehearsal space mm-hmm. and a performance space for us. So awesome. a lot of in-kind services that we can mm-hmm. use to make the company run. But but it is very strange to run a company that is only active for like, you know, four months a year or something like that. Very challenging. Yeah. 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 So uh, on that note, what mm-hmm. is your guys' specific roles and responsibilities within <laughs> the organization? Because you're president and vice president. Yes. Which I would imagine is a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff, but then you're also kind of hands-on with the show. Yeah, we call ourselves a working board because we sit on the board as these positions and we run a lot of kind of those behind-the-scenes. But we also, during the run of the show, we act. Yeah. um, We take care of the set, which is what Dylan did today. So we've just moving locations from Township 7 to Douglas Park and Dylan spent the whole day. (laughs) It's it's been a bit strange because some days I arrive, you know, 30 minutes before my actor call time and then I I go walk the stage. We have this giant mobile stage we've set up and I go walk the stage and then I'm like, hmm. I go under the stage with a pair of pliers and start like creaking and hammering shims into place and then come back out and I'm like, oh yeah, I gotta get my microphone on. Okay. (laughs) So it's a little bit of a strange um, collision of roles. And I've tried my best, especially in rehearsal. I find it's very difficult when actors take mm-hmm. on multiple hats. You end up with, okay, well, if you're if you're costume designing the show and you're acting in the show, then you need to be giving costume notes to your fellow actor, which is, like, very strange. It's never where you really want to be. Yeah. The delineation of, like, roles and responsibilities 
generally should not include actors giving actors notes. It just makes yeah. the bad feelings and yeah. challenges in. I mean, if you don't like your director, that's one thing. You have to be able to work with those actors for you know five weeks, not to mention the three months that we rehearse. Yeah. So it's a very big commitment to like, we have to be civil and really cultivate strong relationships here. So that's a challenge of what we do. I know when we were first, we, we've been associated with Bar in the Valley for eight years, but it's only our second year, many of us, on the board. Mm-hmm. The board had a massive turnover oh, a couple yeah. years ago. Mm-hmm. And when it did, it was kind of presented like, well, the company can go away or you can be on the board. <laughs> oh, <laughs> we like it, so well, I guess we'll yeah, be on the fine. board. But in my research, it seems like there's a very, uh, especially with small theater companies, it's often that you have a voting board who is taking on the roles and responsibilities of you know, production manager, producer, uh, front of house manager these kinds of roles that you would typically have two boards in a bigger theater a producing board and a working mm-hmm. board we just don't have that opportunity mm-hmm. we have to be not both yet. hats not yet and and there are people on our board who they more lean into the I'm on the voting board or you know one of our board members runs the Harrison Festival of Arts and so he's like uh, I'm you know rooting for you but yeah. I'm running the festival yeah. right now I'm here and then he's like writing grants with us in the in the, in the winter time so it's like mm-hmm. a very very different kind of set of roles that are all all put in place. My, I, I have directed for the company in the past, but my role in the last few years has been, you know, it's I have been an actor for the company more than I have been in the backstage. And I know when we took over, and especially last year, I said, I, I don't know what I should be doing, but I'll do whatever the board needs. And you said... And I, I needed you on stage. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I was on stage. And then Madison, I don't know how you feel. I know that it's... directing has not been something that you really started working with. No, which is so funny. Like, for me, I started, I was like, I'm an actress. I'm going to be an actress. And I love acting on stage. And I can't, like, how, why do people do backstage roles? (laughs) (laughs) Those are questions I ask, like, what's in it for them? Um, And since taking on this role of president, I have found so much joy in the audience's joy Mm -hmm. so taking on roles of director and taking on roles of like vocal coach which is what i did for measure for measure has given me so much joy to work with the actors and then see how the audience reacts um so i'm i feel like i'm taking a backseat to acting these days and i'm so happy to have like this new role in this new adventure and i do think that for many of us who are i mean I, i include myself in that i'd never know how long acting is going to be feasible for me um my both of our day jobs are teachers Hmm. so in that in that you know that role that we play Mm -hmm. it's sometimes very difficult and i found it challenging this year you know the collision of report cards end of the year celebrations graduation ceremonies and a week later you you (laughs) haven't you haven't learned your lines yet or you've learned (laughs) them but like there's a lot more work to be done Mm -hmm. and i'm like yes i know i know but it all has to take a back seat unfortunately Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. that that's a you know that's not necessarily something to lament because i'm very grateful to have a career that allows me to do this in the summertime and i don't really think that being a professional actor fits into my my life this is (laughs) this is an opportunity to do both Mm -hmm. but it is um it is a challenge, certainly, to, to compute those two things together. Mm-hmm. Do you find that there is a certain changing of the guard mm-hmm. in theater these days? That you're you're are you, would you say that you're trying to train the the next generation of uh, okay. well, artists funny that you or actors? That. Yeah, because part of our charity work is working with youth. Mm-hmm. So um, 
Bard in the Valley is a registered charity. One, because we provide free theater for the community, but for the second, we provide youth camps for um, for any children, but specifically we give scholarships to children who might not have the same opportunities as other children. Okay. And I um, look at that as like a, a sense for children to have, you know, belonging and community and be a part of something. Um, but also, wouldn't it be cool if they came back and yeah. then became the future generation of BIV actors or backstage crew or... Yeah, I think one thing that we've discovered over the years is when you when you do one show a year, it's really difficult to maintain momentum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's not quite the same thing as say Gallery Seven, where you're like, oh, I do this show and I can't wait to audition for the next one. Yeah. We're often mm-hmm. like, see you next March. And they're like, <laughs> March. Oh, okay. What am I going to be doing? And and who knows, right? I do think that we also have a challenging task put in front of performers that they don't usually uh, find in many other community mm-hmm. theaters, which is performing outdoors. Mm-hmm. It, even though we're using amplification and, and you know, we, we are using our uh, planning skills to prepare for inclement weather the best we can, <laughs> it is not the same ballpark mm-hmm. at all. I performed mm-hmm. up in Barkerville for a number of years uh, on the street as a, as a, uh, in, historical interpreter and really? yeah and so my job was to be in costume and character all day and to chat to guests wow. and every once in a while be like oh sorry it's 10 o'clock and run off and do my scene in the middle of town <laughs> and then come back and then oh it's two o'clock i better go and do my town tour and that job you know you you're doing a scene without microphones and there's a horse and carriage rumbling through yeah. scene. it was very difficult to kind of keep composure or to be able to project above that and i I found it really empowering to come back from that experience and realize like, oh man, these actors can't project at all. <laughs> I could fill this whole theater with my voice. But it is something that you, it's a skill that not a lot of actors have. I cannot put that task in front of most actors and expect that in the three months we're rehearsing, first of all, Shakespeare, which is sort of actor Olympics anyways. Now let's add into the thing that we need to refine your voice, that most key part of your instrument that maybe is still developing, but we want to forego all the other intricacies and just focus on volume. It's it's not really possible to really push actors in that way. I mean, we we take on a lot of technical issues having um, having microphones in the show, but you have to. You have to. With a month of performances, your voice would not sustain without it. Unfortunately. Well, yeah, that was going to be my next question is mm. like, there's a saying, I, I think it was like in the comedy scene, I've heard it on like a podcast somewhere or something, mm. um, that you can't compete with the sky. <laughs> so it's impossible mm. to do comedy like outdoors. Which is interesting. I know mm. that the, like probably that. the most famous comedy set outdoors I can think of is Dave Chappelle's when he came yeah. back into mm. set out in the field in the middle of, yeah. of COVID. But but I, I wouldn't envy anyone doing comedy outside. It no, it sounds difficult. like a nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I know uh, I, in theater it's a similar, similar thing, but it's always uh, never go on stage with children or animals mm. because mm-hmm. it's it's impossible to compete with with the attention that they would get. And and it is, I've been on stage. We went on stage with a goat. Yeah. We've we've been on stage with children and animals and it's really hard. And it's really hard. They have stage with the goat poop all over the place. Oh my goodness. It's very funny. Yeah. But it is, um, you definitely have in the outdoor world a lot of distractions. I think mm-hmm. a skunk came by one of our shows last year. Unfortunately, we had a fence wow. around everything, so it didn't mm. have an issue. But I was. Oh yeah, we compete with everything. Yeah, yeah. motorcycles, other people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I dogs. remember Every... years ago it was. I think it was Romeo and Juliet when you guys put on Romeo and Juliet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That was phenomenal. But there was 
a couple of dogs that were going off the whole show. I remember that specifically. I thought, this isn't ruining it for me. But it'd be nice if they weren't there. Mm. It is funny the things that you put up with in outdoor theater that, I mean, I'm a bit of a snob, I guess, for for stage um, yeah, or audience um, etiquette. Mm. Of, you're you're it comes, a traditionalist. It, it comes from being a teacher, too. Like, when I'm in my drama classroom, if I am teaching drama and I see someone on their phone, I'm that is, like, the mm. worst, <laughs> the worst offense you can commit. But outside, it's a very different world. You have mm-hmm. to, you know, I don't feel the same pressure as an audience member to be as closely invested either. So it's hard. Mm-hmm. You have to you have to really bring yourself, yeah. <laughs> bring your attention. Yeah. And I, I imagine also doing Shakespeare, which I think probably a lot of younger people, especially nowadays, don't quite have the attention span for Shakespeare as much as like people used to. Probably, interesting. Or, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. For no, sure. no, I don't no, think I would agree wrong. with that. We talk about this a lot, actually, and and measure for measure is an hour and fifteen minutes. No, well, I would say it's an hour forty-five with intermission, so it's about about altogether, yeah, yeah altogether. So it's yeah. about ninety minutes on the, the stage That's time. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's and we love it because <laughs> it's, it's short. Like, yeah, and and I would say like. Like, I think that's what audiences want these days is they don't want to sit through, you know, a four hour uncut Hamlet. As amazing as the words are, <laughs> yeah. they're not that amazing. <laughs> like, I, did, I did go to a, a theater production very recently where the person taking my tickets was like, oh, uh, just, you know, the first act is really long. I was like, excuse me? They're like, yeah, it's like 85 minutes. It's like, oh, Okay. It's like an hour and 20 minutes. Is that long? I was like, that does seem long. But you don't see King Lear if mm. you don't see two 90-minute acts. Really. Mm. Like, that plays three hours if it's, you know, if, and you have to be present for it. But you also sign up for King Lear. Mm-hmm. I don't think people are ready for that right now. Maybe it's mm. post-pandemic. Maybe yeah. it's, I, I don't know what it is. Age but but I have heard from a lot of performers and other theater professionals like, oh, yeah, we don't have, we don't do long shows anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? I guess that's just a that's something that's changing yeah. right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of a bummer to hear. Like that, I mean, attention spans are kind of. I mean, not maybe not necessarily killing these longer form theater productions, but it, it's such an interesting thing, though. I I do think that the longer a show is, the more you know, the more quality it has to uh, contain as well. If yeah. You, if you're going to sure. take up some four hours of someone's time for Hamlet, it yeah. better be brilliant. Yeah. Exactly. Well, and I think maybe that's the difference between professional and community. Yeah. For, like to do a four hour community show is very difficult because all the actors are also <laughs> have day jobs, right? right? Like how do you fit in that rehearsal time or that memorizing yeah. or we can set aside the question of whether it was ever performed in four hours in Shakespeare's own life, which is highly <laughs> debatable. Although I'm just, you know, there's a lot of questions about that, but it is. Yeah. Like if you want to do uncut Hamlet you can it's you should be very cautious of who the audience is mm-hmm. who's who are you going to do that with who which theater in the Fraser Valley is like oh yeah my audience just eats that up we want to see like, we want to see Oedipus Rex and oh yeah let's let's see four hour Hamlet why do we need to do a four hour Hamlet no no yeah, yeah. no but it's also tough to fit Hamlet into an hour and a half or it is yeah. um, if it is if you want to do the entire story right yes. and I think a cut like what we've discovered with this show any cut of a play it, it takes away things but accentuates and perhaps adds mm-hmm. other things this cut of measure for measure is taking out the side plot quote mm-hmm. unquote which is um, 
Okay, so when was the last time you read Measure for Measure? I'd never. Just kidding. Just kidding. I'm, I'm sure you haven't. Never. Because have. it's not very well read. It's like 1604. It's an early Jacobean play, which means James I was king, and he loved all the stuff about the theater, but he didn't have a really great attention span. But he also really loved anything to do with like piety and the occult, which is why he said to Shakespeare, hey, I'm going to make your company, the Cham- Lord Chamberlain's men, we're going to turn you into the king's men. My company. You're going to be my sh- my theater company, Shakespeare. Mm, okay. And I want you to write Macbeth about my ancestors. <laughs> and he did. And he wrote it with all these witches and craziness. And it's like brief two-hour play. Okay. It's like the shortest play, second shortest play in all of Shakespeare. Because he was writing it just for James. So there's like this really interesting time period of which Measure for Measure falls into. Where you have some plays that are dealing with really unusual subjects for Shakespeare plays. Measure for Measure is about... A person, uh, a lord, who gets left in charge of a city, Vienna. Mm. It's not set in Italy, but it's, as most of the plays are, set in in Germany or Vienna in uh, Austria. And the guy who gets left in charge is like, okay, uh, this place has gone to hell. There's Nobody's obeying any of the laws. So I'm going to enforce them all to the letter. He finds a a fellow who's like, oh, you're engaged to be married to your fiancé and you've gotten her pregnant. That's too bad. That's fornication. We're going to cut your head off. Mm. And they're like, well, wait a second, like can he just marry his fiance and everything's soft? No, no, that's too bad. We, we can't do that. Go, okay, so so they talk amongst themselves and they go, hey, guy, you've got a sister. She's about to become a nun. She's really pious. Why don't you go and talk to this guy and your nun sister can try and convince him to set you go free. So the nun sister goes to talk to Lord in charge of Vienna and Lord says, yeah, sure, I'll let your brother go if you sleep with me. Mm-hmm. And it's like, whoa, this play is suddenly like a comedy dealing with crazy, intense, like moral quandary. And that's that's essentially the problem of the plot, that the plot's trying to solve. Amongst that, there's the fact that this guy shuts down all the brothels and all the bods or pimps are, mm-hmm. right, are complaining about this. All that's cut. Get rid of it. Get rid of all of that. We want to focus on the main story. So right. it's, it's very interesting to cut at Shakespeare, but to expose or perhaps enhance what's yeah. underneath of it at the same time. Hmm. Yeah, I, I was interested to hear how uh, how faithful you guys are to Shakespeare, because, <laughs> I, I mean, again, competing with the sky, like, I'm yeah, yeah, sure yeah, yeah. that you have to make alterations. Oh, yes, and and if, you, if, you've, if you've ever seen Shakespeare, you've never seen uncut Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. It's right. always cut, but yeah. it's never, and part of it is it's free, and... Um, well, and that's the thing. I, you, like, I, I think of our audiences and their families and their children and their, and it's free theater. So it, it, ha- it has to be cut. It has yeah. to be. Yeah. Um, and even measure our measure for measure version is a little bit edited to to a take up bit. a yeah, little like bit. very yeah. to make it a little bit more accessible for listeners mm-hmm. and but, watchers. But that is always you know the the we are very passionate about the language, but we have to balance that with, mm-hmm. okay. I, and I would say like, even you and I are more of diehards then. Yes. <laughs> we are, we are diehards. We, yeah. we, yeah, we, we learned from people who are diehards. Yeah. So, but I also think that, um, Shakespeare is compelling, challenging work for actors, but if you're not experienced in it, it can be frustrating. Yeah. If it was mm-hmm. for me, if I was making a show for myself, it yeah. would be true to form, yeah. <laughs> perfect language. <laughs> I went back, I looked, at the sh- acting. I looked at the show that I cut for, for Bard in the Valley six years ago, mm-hmm. and it was like, it's like two and a half hours, mm-hmm. with it, plus an intermission. Mm-hmm. I couldn't believe that. Long, I was like, yeah. that was a really long play. That's way too long in my mind for a comedy now, but but I guess it wasn't before in the before times who knows yeah I don't know <laughs> yeah hmm 
So do you think that people want to see an unedited Shakespeare? Because it, I don't. It's very rare. Oh yeah. That you go to a show and it's not the director hasn't made it their own. No, right. No, no. There's yeah, yeah. usually a lot of fun little modern things thrown in. There's usually a lot of comedy that people get that don't get Shakespeare. Yes. Is that is there any of that in the show? Uh, yeah, I would say so. There's uh, so sh- one of the traditions of Shakespeare that I've noticed a lot in this show is the the clown character sort of taking liberties with improvising <laughs> his way through the show a little bit. And it's been a lot of fun to see mm-hmm. him play with the audience. Shakespeare is more Growling. audience interaction than you expect, mm-hmm. I right. think. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I would even say that the traditional clown for Measure for Measure was cut. I would say <laughs> Mr. Sunday That's was, That's right. That's was right. cut. But it's fun to see our character Lucio really take, take on that role of yeah. clown and have that fun. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you have a crew of actors, you do... I mean, certainly as an actor, there's a, um, a responsibility to the role, but mm-hmm. much more responsibility to the play and to whether or not you're serving the play. I know I lobbied. Of course I did. I lobbied for some of my lines to get added back that had been cut. <laughs> and uh, I'm glad that they did. But The then, juicy bits. Yeah. Well, but there was even a couple of them where I was like, did I make the right choice here? <laughs> should probably <laughs> just cut this again. But it's fine. It's, it's, it's fun for me to make those choices. And as our director said to me, like, well, I'm trying to keep the whole play in my head, but you are obviously going to dig into your own character mm-hmm. more than I'm going to. And that's that's something that we have to balance too. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. What's the what's the kind of the atmosphere of how much input do you get in your lines? Mm. How much is it Emily just running the show? That's an interesting thing because I do think different directors, like mm-hmm. traditionally in theater, directors are um, defined as like dictators or mm-hmm. collaborators. But also, Dylan, you're an anomaly because you like <laughs> you are the historian, yeah. and you you don't look at one version; you'll look at three, and you know the history of of multiple plays and the yeah. timing of all of it. So, for you to kind of lobby to have it back in is a bit of an anomaly because many actors would focus on what they have as opposed to even the bigger picture of Measure for Measure. I would say that that that's true, but I also think that I. I have to be very cautious not to overstep my role mm-hmm. in that way too, right? Because I could. But you focused on your yeah, character in your role, and, That's true. and you just so I think. I think I think in terms of uh, this particular show, there's been a lot of collaboration, mm-hmm. and that's been from the parts of the show that I'm not in mm-hmm. that I come to see. Often Shakespeare feels like you go and rehearse a bunch of scenes and then you don't actually see the play until you all show up for dress rehearsal and you're like, wow, that's the play. <laughs> I didn't even see Bob. Bob's been in the show. All right. I forgot. We were rehearsing for the same show. So seeing that, I'm like, oh, wow, this must have been like a labor of love to make some of these scenes happen in this way. Or, you know, I didn't even realize that someone was rehearsing a song that goes mm-hmm. here. Like there's just all components that get have to get pieced together. So I think there's been a spirit of collaboration, but it's invariably we all put our heads down at some point too and just oh we have to learn these lines which someone <laughs> asked me today at the winery as i was packing up every time how do you learn all those <laughs> lines, lines? Like, that's I, the most asked question and i i it's more of a mystery to me than, than, <laughs> than anything else we did midsummer night's dream three years ago mm-hmm. and i showed up i worked backstage on a production of it in my first year of university and i showed up and i knew all the lines it's like, this is absurd. It's already heard they're it 20 still, times. Yeah, they're still <laughs> rattling around in my head eight years later. Yeah. Like, I have so much Shakespeare still from when I was in high school, from when I was 
14 that I memorized yeah. that I still know. And it's amazing to me how this this text, which was made for actors, it was not mm-hmm. made to be read in English class. It was made class. to be memorized quickly. Yes. It was designed, like, it's all poetry. It's all And verse, it's all yeah. in verse, and it's rhyming schemes, and, and, and I mean, these, I am these, a these and, actors were keeping three, four, five Shakespeare plays in their head at a time when they were running around performing at the Globe. So it is like glue in my mm-hmm. brain. I Me cannot too. get away from it. Yeah. And it's fascinating to read... The more you read a particular set of lines, the more you start to sense, you know, whether it's your own hubris and and feeling of nostalgia or not. I'm like, I'm being told something from this man who wrote this 400 years ago Mm -hmm. about how this character should be portrayed Mm -hmm. in the punctuation of this line, which is fascinating, like Mm -hmm. extremely fascinating. Mm -hmm. But of course, it takes a lot of deep diving to get there. And and I think, I think... Audience members don't want to admit how hard it is to sit and memorize, right? Like you, no. act, like like for me, I used to write lines. Oh yeah. And I would just write them over and over. And every time <laughs> I had twenty minutes, I would write it, and then I would be like, "Oh, maybe I'll try to write it smaller this time." <laughs> and you just make a game out of memorizing your lines, or you rec- I think, I think your wife records them and yeah. then listens to it over and over again. And I, I often do as well. Sometimes the best part way to do that is just to record the other people's lines in a scene, mm-hmm. so that when you're driving to work, you can hear your and then go mm. ah and respond but um, my I definitely rely more on brute force these days than yeah. anything else which is I, I say to my drama students sometimes I'm like you know the best time I memorize lines it's 11pm to 3am <laughs> I sit there it's and I just say it and 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 say it again until I drive myself crazy yeah. and then you wake up and it's there yeah. <laughs> at least sometimes yeah I have to magic I have to sleep on it yeah. but yeah you have all these tips and tricks and then eventually it's magically there like, yeah, it just it, comes, it does, but it takes so much time. And that is that is the part of it that whenever I sign up for a show, I think this is going to be so fun, and then I start memorizing lines, and I go, here we go again. It's the worst part. It is the worst part, yeah. because you can't have fun no. until it's memorized. And yeah. it only takes yeah. one, like, bad experience, at which, you know, fortunately we have some very dedicated actors who know their stuff this year, mm-hmm. and even if they miss the exact line, they mm-hmm. don't have that moment of, like, being on stage just looking at the other person, like... I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. You know, we don't. We don't. Re- I, I've had those moments yeah. though, mm-hmm. and they they come back to you sometimes when you're memorizing, and they come back to you in your sleep when you wake up and sweat. <laughs> like, I was on stage and I didn't have shoes. I had no I idea what I was supposed to say. Yeah, it's very, very. I don't know. It's very close. Uh, I mean, in some ways, acting is so. We think about it as so false, and so oh, you get to put on another person and not be honest and genuine. And the more you do it, the more you see how much of yourself you have to drag into whatever you're right. doing. I think especially mm-hmm. in theater, because it's so, it's you're right there, especially what we do. Mm-hmm. We're not the Queen Elizabeth Theater, and I mean, I, I love going to see big shows as well, but you're 400 feet away, you're like, dang, where's my binoculars? Exactly. We're right there. And, I, and especially mm-hmm. in Shakespeare, if you're in the audience, and I'll look at you, Russell, and I'll say... Now is the winter of my discontent, and I'll say it right to you, right? And this is this is the yep. way that 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 medium works compared to other theater, and it's mm-hmm. fascinating. So, hmm. I agree. the The more intimate the performance, the better. Yes, I agree. Yeah, we we grew up in a well, we we grew up in in uh, the same theater environment, but we went to university in the same theater environment, which was a thrust stage. So mm-hmm. you had audience really close and on three sides. It's so cool. It's such a cool space. A perfect space for Shakespeare, truthfully. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
So you did mention, Madison, that you were classically trained. You're classically trained as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, What did that look like? Where, how, what, when, So we both (laughs) graduated at University of the Fraser Valley in Chilliwack. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, And this was many moons ago, and it's a little different program now. But at the time, it was run by Ian Fenwick and Mm. um, Bruce Kirkley. Yeah. And they they had done... And actually, the reason I chose UFE is because they did one Shakespeare every year. That's the reason Mm. I chose it, too. Yeah, I got to go. I got to go do Shakespeare. Yeah. and and w- within that program, because they would train you to do the Shakespeare, you would take voice classes and yeah. and study the Shakespeare's and sh- and study the poetry within the scripts and. The UFE is a more general experience than what you would consider a a conservatory program. So if you say say you wanted to be a stage actor. And Zach, you're like, this is it. This is my goal. I need to do this. I'd say, okay, we should probably go to a conservatory program for for acting, which is like a a Studio 58 or UBC or even University of Alberta, or you end up all the way back east in the variety of programs in Ontario that do Mm -hmm. it. But you should also study where you want to work because there's you, you get industry opportunities and connections from these places. But those are very intensive, two years, all you do is act or watch people act or talk about acting or mm-hmm. think about acting. And and it's it's very intensive, something that and neither of us... it would be a diploma, not necessarily yeah, a degree, which be. is... What we did at UFV is a, is a more general... Um, yes, it, it, it classically built us up as Shakespearean actors in a way that not a lot of programs do, although I won't speak to those other conservatory programs because mm-hmm. I haven't attended them. But it built as well, like a broadness to our theater experience which mm-hmm. I think serves us so well right now mm-hmm. I've designed sound I've directed probably three short productions when I went to UFV and I worked backstage as a set ASM mm-hmm. and it's it's all you this light experience. grid yeah, yeah. We, did yeah. All, we did all a lot of we stage did a lot of stuff and and it was required but also really highly encouraged of us to experience those those different roles and it provided me it's provided me with opportunities to sound design and direct outside of you know once I left university and and I've realized how fortunate I am. I might not have some of that depth of training that other other actors do. No, you can keep up with conversation when you're talking to lighting designers. And well, yes, and and not only that, I find designers. I find myself on shows where actors are saying to me like, "So is this like what you do? Do you sound design?" I'm like, no, <laughs> <laughs> I'm an actor. I've just I've done sound designs. What do you do? I'm like, oh, I just this is this all I do. I'm like, mm-hmm. Okay, well, that's fine, but. I love having the broadness because mm-hmm. it serves us so well in what we do now. We Especially never, being on the board now. We yeah. never we yeah. never really expected to be running a traveling theater company like a little circus yeah. that moves around <laughs> the Fraser Valley. But it is, it's not an easy task. And it's uh, very interesting to see the parallels of what we do to what mm-hmm. Shakespeare would have done in his mm-hmm. time. I mean, mm-hmm. nobody really knows what the globe was like. We we hear it described, I guess. You can go and read those old accounts. And there's the modern recreation of the Globe in London. But when I was reading an account of, of the previous theater, which was just called The Theater, and Shakespeare worked at The Theater, and it was at a place you know, across the Thames, and the person who owned the land who they were leasing from was like, you know what? I'm not going to renew your lease. I'm just going to keep your theater. Hmm. The company was like, oh, really? And they went back at night and took the whole theater apart and moved it across the Thames. <laughs> I'm like, this is not a modern building. This is this is a camping. This is yeah. not like this is just just wooden canvas. And they they took it, moved it, and built the globe out of it. So what we do, I think, is very similar in some ways to what they were constructing. It's it's relatively uh, simply there to be functional, mm-hmm. a, a function. And it's I think we have a pretty picturesque series of places we can perform. Mm-hmm. 
but we yeah, the are, venues speak more than our sets and our, sure yeah, yeah. but yeah. we also don't have um you know a standard lighting grid we can use mm-hmm. we're kind of mm-hmm. like uh-oh it's cloudy today. Let's get those <laughs> lights up and running. We need them tonight. Whereas, you know, typically we're done by nine o'clock. So if we are right now in July, we don't need it's lights. Yeah. We're in in August. Who knows? We might need some more support in that environment. Mm-hmm. So hmm. very interesting to kind yeah. of... Uh, I love that you imagine yourselves as walking in the same footsteps as Shakespeare. I love yeah. That's powerful. Yeah, that's really cool. It's like, I was thinking about it like what you might... What you might be cutting out of the play, you know, the, the faith you may be lacking in that way. You're more faithful in the spirit of how, like, these plays were done. It's so interesting, though, years ago. and I don't disagree. Like, I know that certainly the traditional audience would be aghast at some of the cuts that are made. I mean, certainly you wouldn't go to Hamlet, for example, and mm-hmm. cut to be or not to be. Mm-hmm. Like, right. there are certain lines mm-hmm. that we got, an, yeah. we, we got annoyed with some of these lines because when we perform Shakespeare... You know, a certain speech would start, and the audience would pull out their books and start reading along with you mm-hmm. out loud. And you're wow. like, "Whoa, yeah, that Caesar, is weird." In Julius <laughs> Caesar, I do, when I did the Friends Country, Friends Romans, Romans Countrymen, yeah. I I would look around, and at any given night, someone would be saying it along with me. Wow, which, yeah, it's, it was really crazy. It, it's interesting to see how that works. I mean, if you cut that speech. Not not a very good choice for yeah. audience comfort. Yeah. I even heard of a show that they moved to be or not to be later in Hamlet, and the whole like first half of the show, people were getting uncomfortable. Oh, they were like, where, where is sweet? it? Where did it go? But you, you <laughs> go to those classics to see. Yeah, you yeah. do. Those, like it doesn't matter how many times you've heard to be or not to be, you're always gonna want to hear it. One of the great yeah. things about doing the off cuts or the the lesser known plays like measure for measure <laughs> yeah is that there are no precious lines yeah. yeah and so i don't know i think of it as being in some ways more especially when i look at the not just shakespeare's time because shakespeare was performed after his death and his work was performed right up until uh oliver cromwell cut james the first head off and then said all the theaters are closed and there's 18 years no theater hmm. and after that charles ii comes back and they do shakespeare again but in a very different way, and the restoration authors start adding scenes. Like, we like this character, but it's not enough of them. So they write more huh. for these characters. They cut, chop, piece it all together. So I think of what we do as being, in some ways, more authentic mm-hmm. than performing the the entire play uncut. Though, though I understand that is a reader's version of the text. If you are reading Romeo and Juliet in high school, you might want to hear it all. Like, mm-hmm. that's powerful and useful right. for you. I don't think a lot of productions are going to offer that. No, yeah. Even 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 if you have been studying it and you think you're seeing an authentic production, they might not be. Mm-hmm. It might be different than you mm-hmm. expect. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. I like the fact that do you often pick the lesser known plays? Like I know you've done the big ones. Like you've done Midsummer Night's Dream. Mm-hmm. We've done but... it twice. Yeah. Right. And uh, yeah, so it's a catch twenty two. Like. You want to do the fun classics, you know, get those juicy roles and and do those big parts that are like the, you know, everybody wants to be Cleopatra or yes. or Lady M. I won't say it. No one said the M word earlier. Oh I can't my say goodness. it. I do not. I do not. I do not share the superstition of some of my, my fellow board members. Um, but then, as a, then as a, as someone who is now involved in a company that does Shakespeare every year, you're like, yeah, let's try Cymbeline. Like, yeah, yes. let's do that. Yeah. That sounds like yes. fun. That's different. It's yeah, so next year's, next year's production, you're doing Cymbeline, which is, I don't know, depending on who you ask, 
that or Winter's Tale or Tempest mm-hmm. are the last, you know, fully fully alone play that Shakespeare, fully by himself play that Shakespeare wrote. He did a lot of collaborations after that, at least a couple that we know of. But it's a very interesting play. It's, again, mm-hmm. kind of a, a, a different genre than you see of any Shakespeare plays up until that time. Theater's changing. Shakespeare's the old dinosaur now. So is he trying to modernize and try the new genre out? Okay, mm-hmm. he is. But we don't really know how successful it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So many plays, Simbling included, we would never have have had it all if it wasn't for mm-hmm. those collaborators of Shakespeare who compiled the first folio in 1623 mm-hmm. of all of his works that they could get their hands on anyways 36 mm-hmm. of and there's two more that we were able to find after that or that scholars found but it's so strange to think of plays like Macbeth that were only printed once was only ever was only ever printed once and that was in the first folio could have disappeared very easily from from literature and mm-hmm. we would never have it and i don't know that's a fascinating thing to reflect on mm-hmm. hmm. you are clearly uh, a fan of the bard oh sure <laughs> yeah. I mean, but so are you i mean are you a fan of pop culture because I, yeah, he's not wrong. everywhere yeah, i yes. mean denzel washington was nominated for a a Oscar this year mm-hmm. for a classical play that was performed on screen, right? In in Joel Cohen's Macbeth. Yeah. So it's it's fascinating to see that these plays matter. We don't perform Ben Johnson anymore. No, not really. We don't see people nominated for doing Christopher Marlowe plays in mm. in film. Mm. And I don't think that's just because there's some cult of Shakespeare that is holding up this guy who doesn't matter anymore. Right? Game of Thrones, if you read the Henry the Sixth plays it's mm-hmm. all there. It is completely lifted. Like it's very much the like, themes one-to-one. of Shakespeare are so timeless, and yeah. it, and it even blows my mind to be doing Measure for Measure and mm-hmm. still be talking oh, about goodness. not believing women when they it's, tell you it's a play what about yeah. It's, and it's I'm a, like, how is this play 400 years old, mm-hmm. and how is this still an issue? Yeah, it's very fascinating. Uh, it's very fascinating. And and, and, and I think that is like again why there is this culture of of, of Shakespeare because. He's so timeless. But I do I do take your point though, which is yes, I, I'm a very big fan of you know, the early modern stage if I'm to to, you know, break it down to something <laughs> in particular. We only have, you know, five hundred plays from that era. I haven't read any that aren't Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. I've dabbled a little bit. I've read a little bit of Marlowe, I've read a little bit of uh, Fletcher. And they're all kind of boring <laughs> until <laughs> I'm sure you see them performed. Mm-hmm. And yeah. something about Shakespeare is that once you see it and you start to imagine how this text works, it gives you more of a sense when I'm reading it of like, okay, I, I think I understand how this is going to work. But it's not easy. I've, I've read, I've probably encountered maybe half, some, maybe some portions of half the plays, maybe a little bit more in Shakespeare's canon. So still, I have so many. I've never even read uh, Tex Andronicus. Like, I need to read Tex Andronicus, which is yeah. the bloody, gory, like, uh, violence fest that Shakespeare wrote early in his career, and so I've yeah. always kind of eschewed it. But <laughs> it, that one is sort of famous and infamous. I'd love to read it. It's hard to read now. <laughs> it's hard to it's, read. It's, some of them some of them can be, right? And some of them don't connect in ways that we would mm-hmm. hope they can. And Yeah, some lend themselves much easier on stage, especially in a summer festival. Yeah. I mean, to kind of come back around. Um, and some, like Titus Andronicus, could never be done as free theater in a park. Maybe not. <laughs> no. There's, there's... I would love... Maybe in a winter... 
there are in moments, a private winter venue. There are moments in Measure for Measure, I will admit, where I wonder, like, mm. should we have put warnings on this play? Because this oh, is, yeah. mm-hmm. it deals with some serious subject matter. I've never felt like I had to do that for any, like even even mm-hmm. killing Caesar and covering ourselves mm-hmm. in his blood. I did not feel like that was something I needed to mm-hmm. do. Maybe I was just younger and I didn't have the sensibility of an audience member as clearly. But mm-hmm. but I do think that when we perform classical theater, we expect it to be, you know, not uh, pushing boundaries mm-hmm. the way that Measure for Measure does every night mm-hmm. when we perform it. And I go up and I have a monologue where. Um, I encounter this this future nun for the first time and she pleads for her brother's life and I say, okay, come visit me tomorrow and she leaves and then I turn to the audience and I have a monologue about like like a lover monologue. Mm-hmm. Like, wow, what? No, no, I don't love her. Do I? Do I love her? <laughs> and they laugh. Mm-hmm. And as they laugh, I know I'm like, I got you. Mm-hmm. You are going to have the biggest, you know, mm-hmm. flip in your view of this character just one scene from now mm-hmm when you see how this character reacts to this other character, you know, denying his request. And that is powerful for me to know that it's not like a Romeo and Juliet where you show up to see Romeo and Juliet, you know the ending. Yeah, right. They don't know. Yeah. And and that's fascinating to me that they get to see that for the first time. Something Mm -hmm. that is, again, transported 400 years from the past. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, you don't have that effect of people in the audience holding the book, reading along, reciting the lines as much. I would so imagine. far, no. Yeah. And I'm not sure that it won't happen because we we do have a lot of you know people who come see the show and go, oh yeah, you you missed you missed this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, oh, we didn't miss it. <laughs> Maybe you did, but I didn't miss it. But it, it is fascinating to see you know the the way that the lesser plays still connect. I mean, we're very fortunate. We didn't know if Measure for Measure was going to be successful. Like, yeah. who comes to see Measure for Measure? Yeah. Did they? Well, they did. They mm-hmm. are. And people have told me it's their favorite. Which is really, oh, really? Oh, yeah. People will come and say, oh, it's Measure for Measure. It's my favorite. Which? I had a colleague that said, I studied, I studied that in high school or university. And then she was one of the first people to buy tickets. Like, she was, yeah. she wanted Mistress Undone. But I was like, sorry to but, disappoint you. But it, is, but it is a really fascinating thing to see the way that we are able. And one of the reasons why we do... You know, we're doing Measure for Measure this year. We're doing Symboline next year. We're doing these plays because we can. We don't mm. feel like, okay, we, um, I don't know, we, we talked to someone not that long ago who said, oh, you're a Shakespeare company? Which of the six plays are you doing? <laughs> and it's like, uh, obviously, there's only six plays worth doing. Yeah. And I want to be like, well, we don't have to be bound by that. <laughs> yeah. Which is so awesome, which is, yeah. and it's not to say we won't do, you know, like any Shakespeare company, we'll probably have ten Midsummer Night's Dreams under our belt in you know fifty oh, yeah. years of the oh, yeah. Still yeah, around yeah. because it's it's the, the well, and classic. Then, and then there is there is you know something about theater about keeping the lights on, which is a hard yeah. belt to swallow mm. as well, oh, right? Goodness. You're like, but does being a charity and being community theaters that does that help with that? Like, is that part of the part of the pie that helps you get to do things like Measure for Measure? It does, but I, I think you'd be surprised the theaters that are you know registered charities or that are you know mm-hmm. largely supported by grants. One of my favorite anecdotes about theater is a story a friend told me once where uh, a man who loved opera and was very wealthy bought an opera. He was mm. like, I'm so excited. Now I get to work and, and be able to work in this thing that I love so much, this art form. And then he looked at the books. He's, he came to the people who managed it and says, I don't understand. Where are the profits? <laughs> he said, no, 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 sir. This is opera. You don't understand. Money goes in and opera comes out. There are no profits. And that is so much of the way that modern theater works. I'm sure it's the way theater worked in Shakespeare's day as well. It is 
no matter how much money you make at ticket sales, unless you're Hamilton and you fill up the Queenie Theater with 2,500 seats, <laughs> which you do if you're Hamilton. But then they, they're here for two weeks and yeah. they leave and they go to the next town. They go to the next town, right? Those productions, sure, they make money. I'm sure they do. But theaters don't survive without grants, without community yeah. supports mm-hmm. and government supports. It's And that does you know cause us to ask questions like, okay, well, clearly Netflix is more popular. Mm-hmm. Why do we care about theater? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, you tell me. I'm here performing it. I care about it because... And I, and I go see talkbacks of those actors mm-hmm. who are in Netflix shows. And they're like, oh, yeah, but I can't get away from this. And I'm like, wow, so fascinating, right? Mm-hmm. We have... We have this medium that can't seem to die and that we are propping up in many ways, but it seems to be the medium that other performers and artists flock to more than than to, I don't know. I mean, this isn't to say a cinematographer doesn't have anything really to contribute to a film or to a sta- uh, stage play, mind you. Right. But an actor on film will always be an actor on the stage and they always have to make that choice. Do I eat or do I do the art that I love? That's a little bit reductive, but but I do think it's it's challenging. Like that mm-hmm. that art form, as a as a charity, we we are afforded many opportunities because of that status. But but it is also you know we we are we are forced to be sustainable through many mm-hmm. ways mm-hmm. through trying to make as much uh, of a of a bankroll as we can to provide things for the company that we can't receive through grants. Grants are great for capital purchases. They don't fund operating costs right. in a theater. So. Do you find that, is it a large difference if you put on a headliner like Midsummer, as opposed to Measure for Measure? There's a, is there a seat, you know, a butts in seats difference? I don't feel like I have enough experience to completely no, answer that question. That. However, I will note that Barnett on the Beach did Midsummer's Romeo and Juliet and Harlem <laughs> Duet. And those are like huge name pieces. Yes, they are. And on a, on, a, on their first season after COVID, they missed two years. Yeah, and they, they um, decided to put three kind of large headlining plays. Harlem yeah. Duet is a Canadian play. It's maybe lesser known, but it is, uh, unless you're you know a university Canadian mm-hmm. theater student, then you've mm-hmm. probably studied it. But it is, um, I think, a very unusual and unique play for, mm-hmm. for them to do, and it was a very worthwhile project. But yes, they are doing shows. They not, pick, which they is pick not shows to smirch their choices, were, you know, either, yeah. But they are choosing. But they picked big headline yeah. shows. Mm-hmm. I was a little, I was, I guess, a little bit surprised. Last year, we did a show that we thought was going to be easier, and, and it probably was for mm-hmm. the company as a whole. But we did the complete works of William Shakespeare, abridged, which is a licensed modern play which seeks to tell the story of all of Shakespeare plays in, you know, 90 minutes. Oh. Very silly. Very silly. <laughs> Very silly. But it, it was probably, it probably will end up being more successful in Measure for Measure for various reasons. One, we, we weren't competing too much with anything Yeah, else. it's tu- it's so tough to know. But it was it's also... tough to know for sure. Yeah, it's tough to know, right? Who knows? It was because also, was also it, very funny. Was it but, that we're the only theater doing yeah. a show? Was it the the draw of complete works of William Shakespeare Bridge because I did have audience members say like I've always wanted to see this show and Mm -hmm. I finally get to see or I saw this show 20 years ago in London and now I get to see it again and so it's so hard to know why people are drawn to come out I've never encountered it but I I know that a number like if you're a Shakespeare company you've probably produced a production of it at some point because Mm -hmm. it is like one of those those shows that guarantees enthusiasm from your audience and it's on theme yeah yeah it's on theme but it's very much and actually it's really for shakespeare i mean lots of people get joy and laughter out of the jokes they tell but really for shakespeare buffs it's really funny yeah although because they they poke at all all the we we have we have had negative reactions to that show though 
I know That's I true. did hear at least one person being like, oh, Shakespeare would be rolling over in his grave. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, no, he wouldn't. He'd love this. He wrote these parts for his friends. Yeah. Like, this this was a company of people he'd worked with for years. I know that, if you, depending on the script you find, the version of it doesn't even have character names. It's got actor names written in okay. because he was writing it for these mm. people. Mm-hmm. And, and it's so interesting to see the way that we receive some of Shakespeare's plays and we imagine, you know, what character was he going for there? it's like, well, Bill needed a part. So here's Bill. <laughs> Bill is playing this, right? And we also, one of the things that we encounter, I guess, that I find interesting working in a modern Shakespeare company is no matter which play you look at, there are not that many female roles that mm-hmm. Shakespeare wrote. And there's reasons for that. He had to have young boys or young men or eunuchs play all the women mm-hmm. in his plays. It was legal for women to be on stage in early modern England. Mm-hmm. But that means as modern you know, Shakespeare producers, we have to find ways to, to get make... women on stage. Yeah, yeah. and, and yeah. it means what, who cares that this part is written for a man? It doesn't mm-hmm. matter. Mark Antony? Of course Mark Antony can be a woman. And, and it's fascinating to work with actors who are like, this is a part that I never actually pictured myself in. And mm-hmm. now I'm so fortunate to have gotten that. Mm-hmm. When I did Complete Works last year, there was a section where I, I had to play Juliet. And I remember thinking, first of all, it was very silly to play Juliet. I had a lot of fun doing that. But I also thought... I'm never going to get to play Juliet, ever again. <laughs> and it's quite a compelling part. So even yeah. though I only have like 40 lines of Juliet's in that play, I had that same experience of like, this is a role that wasn't written for me, and I'm so grateful mm. to get to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very interesting. That is interesting, mm-hmm. yeah. I like the dynamic of, yes, women weren't allowed on stage, but now we have more women than men on stage oh, for the most part. so much more. And that is like, that's not even a, a problem with Shakespeare. If you look at, you know, classic 20th century drama, which was almost all written by men, yes, there are a lot of male roles. And so when, when we were in theater school, I felt like, man, I'm getting cast a lot. This is great. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people who should have been cast in parts before me probably weren't getting parts because they, they weren't the right gender, which is such mm-hmm. a strange thing to consider. Mm-hmm. But Plays that are licensed are a little bit harder to, to change. Sometimes the playwrights say you may not cast a woman in a male oh. role. Huh. And, and you can get in big trouble for doing that. Wow. So mm-hmm. you have to be careful depending on if you're producing modern works, which is mm-hmm. nice. Again, we have no rules when we're producing yeah. classical theater. We can do yeah. what we no like. With Shakespeare. Yeah. yeah. I guess that's the beauty of Shakespeare. It, there is an inherent... Uh, acceptance that there's going to be so much gender swapping anyway. Yes, so just, yes. It doesn't matter, <laughs> right? True. You're not, you know, if you switch <laughs> genders in you know, something like a doll's house, yeah. then it's going to be weird. It's going to be but weird. But Shakespeare like to see doesn't that. matter. I'd like to see that show, but that would be weird. You're right. I mean, to me, there is a certain part of me that wonders, was it really funny that the man who was playing Rosalind as a woman then had to dress up as a man and then be mistaken for what? Like, there's just all... I'm sure the audiences ate that up, but... But we don't have that experience. We don't have that part of our our culture. Mm -hmm. So it's fascinating to see the way that those roles evolve and change and the way that just simply changing a character's gender. I I know actors will say, like, this is really fascinating. Like, I would have almost said to cut this, but leaving this in is really interesting because this wouldn't be normally a character given to a female performer at this time. And even some some companies will take the extreme, like there was a version of Midsummer's where they switched all the lovers. Oh, yeah, yeah, And they all played the... The girls played the boys and the boys played the girls. Yeah, I did. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I like that. Just, why not? Why not? Just see what happens. See what happens. (laughs) 
yeah. it is it is fascinating to play around with well-known texts in that yeah. way i think because yeah. you know we're talking about whether or not shakespeare is is well known and, and lesser known plays but i think almost everyone has some experience with midsummer night's dream or at least yeah. mm-hmm. or at least could get something out of yeah. midsummer night's dream mm-hmm. if they Probably. see it yeah 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 mm-hmm. i think that midsummer is one of those plays that it's the visuals of mm-hmm. over anything mm-hmm. else right mm-hmm. which is so fascinating i mean from Shakespeare's time, we have that term audience, meaning to listen, right? An mm-hmm. audio, not a spectator, but an audience member, right? It's so much about audio mm-hmm. through the first part of Shakespeare's life. And then towards the end of his career, he starts moving into indoor theaters and you see spectacle emerge in his plays in a much greater way. So it's fascinating to imagine how that's taken us to Netflix and to, <laughs> am I still watching? Yes, I'm still watching. How dare you? Yeah. Really? <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that people still appreciate theater even if they're watching it on Netflix? How do you feel about that? I think like it's, recorded yeah. versions oh, of live productions oh, is what you're talking about? That's a really interesting question. I know. <laughs> because it is, in essence, a live production. Yeah. You will never get the same feeling. Mm-mm. No. No. I I don't think it's the same, but I also think that during during the pandemic, it sure felt mm-hmm. nice to have substitutes. Mm-hmm. The biggest one was Hamilton showing up on Disney+. Plus. Mm-hmm. I'd never seen it. I'd listened to the soundtrack a million times. And I, I, I almost wish I had gotten to see it first before I'd seen the Disney Plus version. Because I've shown it to almost every classroom I've taught since. And so I know that production inside and out. Mm-hmm. And even though it isn't the way it was in the Richard Rogers Theater, like I know if I had seen it with that original cast, I would have gotten so much more from that. Even just the fact that I'm non-American and that the people around me would have been resonating with that in a way that I wasn't. Interesting. But I, I also was, I remember that first time I watched that Disney Plus version and those first 25 minutes of Hamilton, I was like, this show really cooks. Like, I am glued <laughs> to my TV. And, and I, I never get that experience with watching recorded theater. So, yeah. I don't know. I feel like that's an anomaly. It is. Maybe yeah. the better production value that you have on a live theater sure. performance helps. We watched. Because there was a great hairspray version. Oh, with, yeah. Um, but that's a. Yeah. That, was, that was pretty good. It was very cinematic, right? Yeah. Like, very, very much cinematic. made. Yeah. And there have been some good cinematic versions. I think that the Joel Cohen Macbeth is a very mm-hmm. worthwhile production mm-hmm. of that play. But it, it feels like a piece of cinema. It's not trying to, you know, film. Sometimes when you see films, even like, um, I see you've got uh, a Pulp Fiction poster back there, but even Reservoir Dogs, for example, oh, yeah. Reservoir Dogs is a play, right? It's one room and, you know, three or four people in yeah. that room yeah. and they film it from different angles. Tarantino films it from all different angles, but you could imagine sitting in the audience watching that room, right? Yeah. And I don't think that um, the best versions of plays do that. I think the best versions of plays on screen tend to make them more cinematic make them more i uh and we got to be careful here because we do tend to steer into movies a lot oh that's all but but, um i really love uh fences the denzel washington movie that's that's... because the play is cool the play is great Mm -hmm. and it's really cool that denzel washington played the kid in the play and then played the dad in the movie i think that's really cool but the way they filmed that play where they turned it into a movie and it still definitely felt like a play the way the lines were delivered all all of that Mm -hmm. and like even the blocking like the scene blocking all felt very you know play like as opposed to being cinematic which they could have done they could have just adapted the story and made it more cinematic but yeah i think that's a better way to go about adapting a play Mm -hmm. Play into 
It's really interesting. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, I feel like film and theater are two completely different art forms. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's easy to compare, but also very difficult. Well, I've taught high school film and high school theater this last year, and definitely the the challenge for for the people I teach theater to, it's like, oh yeah, you have to give so much of yourself without, sometimes you, that is, that is not easy. And Mm -hmm. it's like, that's understandable. Like you signed up for this class and you might not have realized that that's what you're signing up for maybe this isn't for you. But I was also a, you know, relatively introverted grade eight kid who took drama and then realized he was funny and now I, I do this. So mm, humble too. <laughs> humble, uh, attractive. You know, kind of but, it's, uh, but it is fascinating to to reflect on the, the difference of how I teach those mediums because so much about theater is you are completely exposed Mm -hmm. and so much about film is no 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 show them where to look the exact place Mm -hmm. focus with lighting with any any with composition anything Mm -hmm. you can you have to show them a specific piece and the actor is almost a you know a prop in some cases (laughs) hmm interesting i i i was reading up on measure for measure and apparently there was a a hugo weaving adaption made a couple years ago I didn't watch it, but I didn't have a chance. But I thought, this is so weird. Yeah, how many years ago would that have been? Like post Lord of the Rings? Uh, yes. Oh, yeah. Was it, like it was like a 2019 or no, oh, a 2020 oh. movie. Now I need to see this. Yeah. I did not know that this existed. This I didn't been, know either. See, this is interesting because I think probably a lot of us, you know, when we started coming up with the, the concept for this play, did our research into like what versions have been done and most mm. of these plays there's a Kenneth Branagh version <laughs> he directed yeah. he directed something a yeah. version of it but uh, that would have and started in it and started yes. <laughs> yes of course, of course he did <laughs> of course he did um, I think the Hamlet in particular <laughs> is egregious um, mm-hmm. did he play Hamlet? no mm-hmm. no mm-hmm. oh man I think so oh, yes man. he did and he directed Hamlet uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think directing and starring in your film is a little bit easier in film but still not mm-hmm. really forgivable yeah. But it is, it is that that one would have skipped, you know, we would have missed that. We would have mm-hmm. probably perused before 2019, before the pandemic shut right. down. So. Yeah, because you would have made this decision Prior way back that, when. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, interesting. How, how early do you plan your shows? So you already have this year's plan, mm-hmm. you have next year's we ideas have, for yes. next year's? We have next year planned. Yeah, we're trying to get a little bit ahead of the game. Yeah. It's nice to be able to share with audiences while we're doing a show what is mm-hmm. going on next year. And for the first time ever, we're doing two shows next year. We're doing a winter production and or a winter fundraiser and yeah. a summer production. Yeah, so oh, cool. we, we know mm-hmm. that as pro well, I mean we try to know it by the fall mm-hmm. because the you know, the fall into the spring is not just the downtime usually for the summer production, but some of the biggest time to iron out some of those mm-hmm. those Kinks those and... those creative issues yeah. for the people working on the show. Mm-hmm. So we want to be able to let people use that time. But yeah, it's really hard. Community theater, there's no fast rules at all. I mean, mm-hmm. sometimes productions are coming up with stuff on the fly. Hey, two months from now we're doing a show. We didn't know we were doing it. Yeah. And that's you know sometimes you have to make those choices, and especially post COVID, maybe. Yeah. Hey, new show. Let's do it. But it's sometimes hard to secure rights and to get all those things mm-hmm. ironed out and to figure out when you're going to do auditions. Once Measure for Measure closes, we will look at the 2024 season, I think, and just start to let that, like, hmm. plant those seeds, yeah, see what's out there. We're still exploring how, yeah. we, how we even pursue directors and, and yeah. plays in this style, mm-hmm. right? Because yeah. we, we have an idea as a company who we feel we need to perform for. And mm-hmm. it's not... That we want to play down to our audience, I very much do not believe that 
is is anything that goes along with good theater. But I I also think we know we we are not putting on three and a half hour production mm-hmm. of King Lear. Mm-hmm. We are doing shorter productions. Mm-hmm. And so when we are... And the summer lends itself to comedy. It does. And something lighter. Yes. Not necess- And we don't have the same production value as you need for a tragedy. It's, it's so really like, hard. It's really hard to do King Lear in the sun. <laughs> the storm is going on! <laughs> I mean, sometimes that's great. I mean, if you're doing The Tempest and you want to really lean mm-hmm. into the comedy, you can make it funny that the yes. storm yeah. is not happening or on that one day when it is happening. But yeah. you don't want that in, in interfering with your tragedy. And we found mm-hmm. that a little bit with Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar, I think, was as far of a tragedy that you could probably do in the summer. I Which think. is itself not the tragedy that you usually see yeah, shows do, not companies big. doing. Not the big big three or something. Yeah. yeah. Is there any pushback when you choose the plays? Like, are there any ones mm. that you don't want to touch? Hmm... I think the last time we did a tragedy in the summer, we had a few questions of people mm. being like, so next year's a, a comedy. <laughs> like, oh, okay. That maybe tells us something that we should yeah. we should know. Like, yeah. we, we don't want to put on these shows mm-hmm. just Dylan, for us. Dylan probably doesn't want to hear that the histories are also difficult to do. Mm, Shakespeare's can... histories are... I Shocking. Love the <laughs> I love the history plays. I'm not opposed to it. King John is a really weird play. <laughs> I love it. I love it. But it's... Again, I'm thinking I, more like Richard III. <laughs> <laughs> again, three and a half hour plays where one person has, you know, an hour and a half of yeah. lines are a little bit hard for us <laughs> yeah. to do. But, but it is, again... Let's cut it, right? Like, let's cut it down. History plays are are themselves a bugaboo for companies in general. I know Barn on the Beach did King John once, and I didn't see it. And uh, they were going to do Henry V in 2020, and it got canceled. And now I'm sad. (laughs) But that's okay. It happens. The problem, I guess the issue is that no one really knows the history. No, no. And it's it's fascinating Mm -hmm. to think of our reaction to them now, because they were the blockbusters of Shakespeare's day. Mm, yeah. Like, he wrote three Henry the Sixth plays. He wrote one and then two sequels because they couldn't get enough of Henry the Sixth. <laughs> which, who? Who was Henry the Sixth? I know. I don't know. He was the grandson of Henry Bolingbroke. Yeah. Who? Never mind. Okay. Let's, let's uh, leave that to It's the like the newest Steve Jobs documentary. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's the same popularity. They, they, they were very popular, and that was how people got their history. So, you know woe to them because some of Shakespeare's plays are not very accurate historically mm-hmm. but we don't you know they don't resonate the same way it's true mm-hmm. and if I was you know if I was going to produce a version of some of these plays you maybe have to say to yourself how much of the English history do we need for this to be a history mm-hmm. play <laughs> <laughs> Richard III is compelling not because he is you know a Plantagenet king he's compelling because he's a character who you love to hate and one of the more compelling you know you think of you think of Breaking Bad Richard mm. III is the Walter White of his mm-hmm. time like a, a, a character who you can't look away from mm-hmm. even though he's awful and horrible mm-hmm. and yet somewhat like compellingly human which is so mm-hmm. Shakespeare I mean he would have grown up watching morality plays trundle around on wagons and people say you should not do this and this is why and now we're going to go on to the next town and that was his theater experience growing up and I think his plays are so devoid of morality in so many ways. Mm. Like, here I am playing an immoral, horrible person in Measure for Measure, and yet I'm I'm reaching out to the audience, and I have a monologue after I commit, like, a, a horrible abuse on stage, and then I come back to them, and I speak right back at them. Like, yes, you don't get to walk away from me. I'm human, and I'm still right here. 
you have to be present with me. And that's very uncomfortable for mm-hmm. some people. He's almost too real to touch. You're like, ah, <laughs> mm-hmm. I can't deal with this. And, and that's that's really compelling. Yeah, that's fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It sounds yeah. compelling to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. <sighs> Interesting. So, okay, let me ask you this, mm. both of you. Mm. If you, mm. what's the dream play? Have you already done it? No, I don't think what's, so. What's the, I'm um, sure you probably have both have different answers, mm-hmm. but what's the one play you want to see made? By us. Like yeah. With, yeah, if yeah, you, yeah, if you could us, be, yeah. if you want to star in it or direct it, whatever, That's what's the one you want to see? Yeah, sure. I have a few, I have a few bucket list shows. Um, one of them is the Scottish play. Yes. Um, yeah. Macbeth. Mm. Macbeth. <laughs> I mean, two negatives make a positive, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, they're famously cursed. Famously. Famously cursed. Yeah. Um, but so, like, when you think of, you know, we talked about women and roles and opportunities. One of the juiciest ones is Lady, but also yeah. the witches. Like, yeah. they're yeah. so cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I just think they're so cool. It's it's a very interesting show because it's, it's, I don't know, I think Shakespeare sometimes dies when it takes itself too seriously. And Mac can sometimes get mm-hmm. ultra serious mm-hmm. and ultra intense. But it is very much like a, a play about, you know the choices that someone makes and the ambiguity around whether or not we have control over our actions. And so many productions kind of lean away from that or don't lean close enough in, like are the witches controlling mm. him or not? Mm-hmm. And so all, even if you're doing, you know, that play, it just, that, mac, yeah. that that play that you want to do, does the director do the version of it you want? Oh, yeah. So much is open to interpretation yeah. in Shakespeare. Probably the play I, I just called. love, sorry, as well, like supernatural elements. And mm-hmm. I think The Tempest is pretty cool for that as well, which is yeah. another um, bucket list show. The Tempest is, is a hard one to do outside. Yeah. But really, really a, a compelling play, yeah. for sure. Hmm. I think for me, the comedy that I always wanted to do, I have done. And that's Much Ado About Nothing. Um, I, I was going to ask about that because that's yeah. one of the very few. I, I'm not well versed in Shakespeare, yeah. but that's one of the few that I am familiar with. And, there's a, there's yeah. a really good film version of that, I think, with Nathan Fillion. The Joss it. Whedon one? Yes, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. Even though we maybe love to not like Joss Whedon these yeah, days. Well, yeah. It is still a great version of that. It's really play. cool, yeah. yeah. And, and I... I I think the bucket list for me is I would like someone else to direct it next so that I could be in it mm-hmm. because I do find I don't ever like to try and collect, you know, roles. I don't think of myself mm-hmm. as being like, well, I have to play Hamlet one day. <laughs> kind of like, uh, do I have to play mm-hmm. Hamlet someday? That's a lot of lines. Mm-hmm. But it would be really interesting to, to take on that challenge. I do love like the the Olympic quality it takes from an actor if I'm if I do a modern play it just doesn't challenge me in the same way that Shakespeare does mm-hmm. it doesn't reward me mm-hmm. in the same way that Shakespeare does I'm discovering things eight shows in yeah. I'm just I'm going to be discovering things on the last show and I'm going to say why aren't we going again tomorrow because yeah. I know yeah. I could do this differently yeah. and that so so for me I'd love to do a show like my, Much Ado where I wasn't directing it but I also feel a little bit like oh man I did that play. <laughs> now what? Because <laughs> it is the show that I would have wanted to do. I We've think... done shows twice. You've done Julius Caesar twice. No. Oh, I have. Yeah, you have. Oh, yeah. Just, like, I not have. with the same... Not with... He was not with Barton and the Valley, and then... Yeah. You I, played, I played Brutus in one production, and I played Cassius in the other production. It was and super cool. It was very cool and very, like... <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'm a little bit guilty. I played the two coolest They're roles too in that cool. play. Well, I, I would say Mark Ant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, if I had to be in that play again, I'd probably want to be Caesar and just die. Yeah, like, that'd be awesome. Spoiler alert. 
<laughs> but it is, I don't know, I think for me a history play of, of some variety fills that gap, and I think it's probably probably Henry the Fourth with Falstaff, mm-hmm. but I don't know how to make that play accessible for human consumption. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's... You don't know how to make it that people will go to. Yeah. Well, and again, we, we somewhat think that if we make it, they'll come, but I also mm-hmm. don't want to, you know, you never want to be that show that's like, wow, we did really badly this year. Yeah, what, did we do? what did we do last big year? Risk oh, take. yeah. yeah. <laughs> we did that show that nobody liked. We have to be very cautious. I mean, you really want to strike a perfect balance of challenging your audience and not... Mm-hmm boring them like yeah. oh, I can skip this one I saw the same thing last mm-hmm. year yeah. Yeah. So I don't think we're there I, I hope no. we never get there that's interesting that yeah. you worry so much about boring the audience because for me I it doesn't really matter what the show is yeah, yeah. if it's local yeah, yeah. theater I'm gonna go regardless yeah that's interesting mm-hmm. you know yeah. whether it's the, the Sherlock Holmes show from Gallery 7 that mm-hmm. was just mm-hmm. on which was great or yeah. it's uh, Shakespearean history I'd go to that just as quickly yeah. And I guess it doesn't really matter to me. So it's easy, it's hard to think about that people don't want to sit through a show like that and it actually affects ticket sales. Well, and, and that is fascinating. I mean, I think we do think about that more than we should. Mm-hmm. We, you know, fortunately... Well, and then we, we try to justify audiences and there's really no way. We have people in the board who are like, hey, um, we can't spend money on this. And, <laughs> and I say to them, I don't care. We're spending money on this. And then we do because I do, I'm not the money person. And we have people to do that, and that's wonderful. But you're right. Like We, we do sometimes get caught up in mm-hmm. uh, what should we do that they will like? And they're yeah. reminded it's that's hard. the wrong choice. That's yeah. where theater goes to die. It's right. hard not to want to be successful, yeah. too. Like, oh, you always yeah. just want oh, sure. to be. Yeah. And, and it's you hard want not... something everyone was gonna, just going to love and <laughs> rave about. I mean, some, sometimes the mystery is, they came. What? <laughs> they came? Oh. They came. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they showed up at the show. Amazing. And that's, yeah. that's not a guarantee in any... I mean, mm-hmm. we have... We've worked in various entities. I, I I certainly have not explored most of the theater, you know, community theater companies. I've done a little bit in the fringe of Gallery Seven, and and yet probably the fringe is my furthest like Western foray into into theater, or uh, yes, yes, further west. Um, but it is so strange to see like how different how different communities receive plays and. Mm-hmm. We feel we feel still like Abbotsford is a community we don't really know about. Like, yeah. there, there's a uh, there's a Catholic joke in Complete Works, and every time I said it in Abbotsford, it was like, oh, yeah, it's not But but it is like something that we are, you know, that's uh, that's maybe a stereotype of Abbotsford that I'm playing on. But it is still like an unusual theater community. It's deep roots for yeah. sure. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Would you say that your crowd? Um, that ends up showing up <laughs> is uh, a lot of theater fans or no? Sometimes it's hard to tell. Yeah. You, so you, when the theater fans come, they're easy to stick out. Like you right. can really see mm-hmm. different nights have different flavors. Like there was one night when a lot of our theater friends, especially ones oh, that yeah, we did the yeah, classical yeah. training with, they came and they warmed up the audience because they were laughing at all the good Shakespeare right. jokes and, mm. and they made it easy for everyone to relax and it was a great house that night. Yeah. And then other nights are quiet, but but they're still oh. interested. They're smiling the whole time. They're just not as... Well, and audiences are entitled to their reaction, yeah. right? Like, you can never be like, how didn't you laugh at that joke? But whatever your reaction is, is okay. I've had people laugh during the scenes in Measure, measure that they shouldn't be laughing at. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I have to be like, that was interesting. <laughs> 
let's just leave that aside because who knows if that person was laughing out of complete like awkwardness of what they mm-hmm. were seeing right, yeah. or if they got a text message mm-hmm. and you know I can't take that to heart mm-hmm. but it is fascinating like I think that Shakespeare festivals and if you if you look around you don't have to look very far, maybe not in necessarily Western Canada, but all over the world, you don't have to throw rocks very far to hit outdoor Shakespeare festivals. Mm-hmm. There are yeah. thousands of them. Mm-hmm. And I think the people who go to outdoor Shakespeare are not even necessarily theater people. Sometimes they're just outdoor Shakespeare people. Mm. Like I go to Bard on the Beach and I hear people go, oh, that guy. Yeah, he was in this play that Bard did five years ago. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, and he was in the Arts Club play last year <laughs> and, and the year before that. But... But you haven't seen those. Mm-hmm. You've just seen all the Bard on the Beach plays, right? Mm, right? So it's almost like a cultural event okay. rather than a theater event, which yeah. is fascinating. Mm-hmm. For, for being someone who's in theater, I, I go to Bard on the Beach and I see one aspect of our city's theater. And I think for a lot of people, you know, outdoor Shakespeare festivals are maybe that's their theater for the year. Mm-hmm. So... I don't yeah. know. That's that's oh. kind of interesting mm-hmm. to think about. Yeah, that is interesting. I didn't ever think of it as its own little yeah. little cultural phenomenon mm-hmm. that had its own community. Yeah. <laughs> I like the idea that the show that you put on is the one show that people go to every year. Oh, it's so weird to think about it that way. <laughs> I mean, that's powerful. It is. It could be for a lot. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's, I mean, maybe that speaks to the fact that it is hard to get to live theater in a, you know, still within a pandemic or, or mm-hmm. we are relatively covid proof and that mm-hmm. when you go to one of our shows we are outside mm-hmm. so that's you nice. can't get much better than that mm-hmm. no but we have we have had friends all year who have been you know one week into production week before production oh sorry show's canceled yeah and and it's frustrating it's it's you you think about some of these companies and that could be the end of a company for some mm-hmm. for some folks so mm-hmm. it's really hard i mean the the economics of theater are never nice. They're always mm-hmm. a little bit ugly because, you know, people are like, we, we need to do better. It's like, I don't know how we can we can mm-hmm. talk about this anymore. Like, there's there's a lot of things under the hood that are expensive about theater that we can't get away from mm-hmm. unless you, I don't know, do a one-person show at the Fringe and then you can mm-hmm. sort of make money in that yeah. in that way. Yeah. And the, mm-hmm. fact, the, the, the fact is that the people that are going to go see your show there's a there's a limit to who's going to go see it, yeah. right? Yeah. There's a lot of people that go to the theater every year, but outside of those people, it's hard to get people that aren't interested in theater interested in theater. I would say that's true. I would say that it's one thing we might be experiencing is a little bit of a of a boom of people, you know, post pandemic who might have been like, I haven't been to the theater in years, mm-hmm. but now I want to do something. So okay, it's. It's hard to tell analytically after such a short amount of time, but we have some, I think we have some data that seems to show that we are getting new people coming to our theater who haven't really come before. And that's like, oh, that's really cool. That's cool to know that we are at least broadening Mm -hmm. our reach. I mean, we're just a little theater company in the Valley, but I I know that where we live in Langley, where I live in Langley, uh, and where Bard in the Valley does most of their shows, there have not traditionally been a lot of theaters. In fact, there are very few theater buildings mm-hmm. in that city and in the town. But there are now maybe three, four companies, mm-hmm. maybe more, mm-hmm. springing up. Like there's, there's certainly theater in the country and us and the Langley Little the Theater. Um, but there's also Little Dipper, Little Dipper Theater, which is emerging there. Of course, mm-hmm. Trinity Western was there for mm-hmm. for many years, and their theater department has spit out a lot of really talented performers. So. Mm-hmm. 
there is seems like a burgeoning demand for theater right in that community so mm-hmm. that's cool ah <laughs> <laughs> uh, interesting uh i had one more kind of left turn that i wanted to go down unless you had any further no, questions turn away uh, so one thing that we tend to land on pretty commonly in the podcast is uh, conspiracy theories. We, uh, we ask oh. about uh, what, you know, what conspiracy theories do you believe in? But there's actually one that's right in front of us that I'm curious. Oh. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I'm sure you know where I'm going with this <laughs> in case the audience isn't aware. The whole Shakespeare mm-hmm. didn't write his plays thing yeah. as aficionados, as, you know, people who have, you know, dedicated so much time. What are your thoughts on that? Do you want to start with that? Well, I actually feel like we touched on it a little bit. Yeah. In, in that, like, you know, I do believe Shakespeare wrote his plays and then there was collaboration that came along yes. with it. Right. Mm-hmm. And as you develop a show, it's only natural. And even we, like we did with this show, is we add in lines, right? Mm-hmm. You, you added in back, you added cut lines back. originally and then added them back in. And I think how easy would it be for actors to take liberties and writers to take liberties? And I'm sure it wasn't ever just Shakespeare. Yeah, I'm sure there was collaboration that came along. I mean, there's when... three distinct versions of Hamlet that were circulating in the in the late 1590s. One of them, the "to be or not to be" speech begins, "To be or not to be, I." That's the point, and it's just like <laughs> that feels it, wrong. Complete, exactly, completely <laughs> yeah. different text. Yeah. and some of that is hard to tell. Did they edit that one to take on the road to you know yeah. the, to the countryside? It's only two hours, so was that more of the production script they used? Mm-hmm. It's it's so hard to know what was actually in the business of of what Elizabethans were doing. I also believe that Shakespeare wrote his plays, but for maybe simpler reasons than than whether or not I think there's enough evidence. I know that there's probably never going to be enough evidence to truly like nail down right. who the man was because he didn't write a lot of other texts. And people have often pointed, like, we don't have, like, a lot of tax records. We don't have a lot of journals or, like, things he wrote. We have sonnets, (laughs) but we don't have much else. He did, you know, attend a court. He had to um, testify in court in, like, the 16, late 1610s or or the 1610s. But that's, that's, like, one of the only times we have him speaking and having his voice be written down, not by him. Uh, I think he's the one who wrote it because I think genius is not unusual and, and well it is unusual but it's not uh, it, it's it's not like we can't imagine Shakespeare yeah. being a genius people yeah. often say well, he was what he was ele- an elementary school educated and here he comes to write the best literature in the English language and I'm like sure yeah and I, I bet that Mozart didn't really play his music at the age of six right mm. and and play it for the Archduke or for the you know Holy Roman Empire or you know, you can go down any road, you know, is, is Einstein really the genius yeah. who wrote all his equations? Genius exists, and I don't think it has to be uh, a conspiracy for it, or f- to be some earl, some, you know, lord who wrote Shakespeare's plays but wasn't allowed to publish them, so he found an actor to publish them. Yeah. That's the main theory that I see circulated. Oh, there's so many. And art yeah. is so much about theft as well. Oh, it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can certainly look at, and again, we have... We only have about 500 plays from the early modern period, but we know there are thousands. And there are records of them, even if we don't have the text. So we know Shakespeare wrote Merchant of Venice based on a play called The Jew of Malta. We know that the Spanish tragedy led to Shakespeare writing Hamlet. There are all kinds of like webs in amongst the people who are writing plays that seem to show that that's what he was responding to. As well as I watched... Um 
I watched the Lion Kings like behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. And as they were developing the Lion King, they're like, oh, yeah. And then his brother is going to take over the kingdom. They're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is Hamlet. (laughs) And then they were like, okay, this is Hamlet. And then they just kind of like adapted this. So I feel like there's so much theft and it's so easy to. Art art is so much about repurposing, especially if you imagine that era of stories being told primarily through. You know, stories of English history, if you're a peasant, you learned them by going to the theater. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's that was part of what he was doing. Now, I don't, I don't necessarily, I, I agree with you. There's a lot of evidence of collaboration, and it's so hard to tell. Mm-hmm. I mean, certainly I couldn't pick through a play and find the moments that are Shakespeare and the moments that are Fletcher or Middleton or, or you know, anyone else that mm-hmm. you could put in into those plays. But they are there. Mm-hmm. There are definite influences. Mm-hmm. And it's possible that we'll never have you know, original scripts of any of them because yeah. they were compiled 10 years after his death. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's yeah. or five years, but still it's, it's, yeah, really strange to, especially for that period where there is such spotty recording and the English language is so flexible back then. Like mm-hmm. Shakespeare doesn't sign his name and spell it the same way every time he signs right. it. Mm-hmm. The English language is malleable and yeah. young and mm-hmm. like he is inventing things yeah. because he is, you know, an aficionado in how to make language. He didn't need to learn it as much. Well, he did, but mm. he is as much creating English as he is, you know, a student of mm. English at that time, which I think is so fascinating. Mm-hmm. Mm. Do you think that, because a lot of Shakespeare's work revolves around, especially his sonnets revolve around what, how mm. do you immortalize yourself? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think that he was successful? Well, I think Shakespeare was. Um, but I, I often think of, well, I was just doing some deep diving into it recently, as if I don't do enough, of, you know, <laughs> classical classical artists who we don't have. So we only have, you know, 44 Rome, uh, Greek plays, for example. And the Roman plays we have, we don't even have supposedly the best ones. They wrote about, oh, this play's amazing. It's gone, vanished, burned up in the library of Alexandria. So all of these people who tried to immortalize themselves, did Shakespeare just get lucky? I don't know. Mm. I mean, his plays were circulated, but his plays were not even the most popular plays at his time, it seems. Mm -hmm. There were plays that were more published than Shakespeare's. So why do we care? Like, what do we care Mm -hmm. about? Like, why is he immortal in in that way? I think that's that's ultimately, to be selfish about it, I think that's in the the hands of actors. I think Mm -hmm. actors keep him alive more than almost anyone else. Because, yes, audiences go see Shakespeare because it's a classical pursuit, and perhaps they feel like, this is interesting, this is high culture, I should, I should partake in mm-hmm. this. But it doesn't survive unless people are there to really, you know, put the, the text in their mouths, mm-hmm. in their bodies. And so, to be immortal, what do I think? I mean, when I read Shakespeare, tell me in Hamlet how to read a speech. speech this, speak the speech, I pray you, as I pronounce it to you, trippingly on the tongue. Like, that is Shakespeare telling me how to act. So, yes, I do think the man's immortal for those reasons. Like, he's everywhere. And and not just the overt ways, but the ways in which he tells you, pause here, take a Mm -hmm. moment, right? Mm -hmm. Or, but soft, but light through yonder window breaks. Make sure you tell them, but soft, it's dangerous. You have to be quiet. Mm -hmm. But light through yonder window breaks. Remind them that it's night, even though they're watching this in the light of day, right? This is a challenging medium because Mm -hmm. it's so audio it's so focused mm-hmm. on sound, and yet we as a culture are so visual. So, yeah. I don't know. There's, there's maybe a, a fascinating piece of, of that when you talk about how Midsummer is so spectacle-focused. Yes. 
And that's one of the reasons why it bridges the gap so well for audiences, because we're able to do our modern visual thing with our classical audio thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's great. Yeah, I, I'm so glad that there's still people out there that are this passionate about stuff like this. Like, that's yeah. been the coolest part of doing this podcast yeah. is finding people that are like so passionate about what they do and yeah. love it so much and have just a wide base of knowledge. Like, it's great. Yeah. Well, it's been super interesting to be able to find people like you who are interested to find out about this too. (laughs) Which is not to say that I I teach, so I have to be very cautious when I teach my classes about Shakespeare. Like I can't tell them all this stuff because that's that's they will sit there and be bored to tears. Mm -hmm. Um maybe they already are anyways. But Mm -hmm. it's it's a very um you know, especially with with teaching any kind of um any kind of medium that is I don't think of it as a lost medium, but you know, sort of outside of our normal culture, mm. you have to be cautious and bring people in through something that can engage them. And if you put a Shakespeare play in front of someone and ask them to read it, they will close it within five minutes if they aren't like like versed in it. Yeah. But I think if you go to see Shakespeare, it doesn't matter if you're seeing Measure for Measure or Midsummer Night's Dream or Richard II. Wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter. You will get something from that. I, I mean, actually <laughs> beg other teachers not to read Shakespeare to their kids. Really? I'm like, it's meant to be performed. Yeah. It I is was not meant that. to be read. Yeah. Yeah. And it kind of breaks my heart a little bit when well. you'll say, okay, go to act one, scene two, <laughs> and let's read. And who's going to play this? And it to die, die a little. <laughs> oh. Well, yeah, that's fair. Oh. I did have a student this year, though, who read Helena. And, that's right. And then said to me, can I read Helena every time? Like, yeah, okay, you can. And that's great because those are moments of like that play is speaking to that person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a great role if I do say something. So you've played it well (laughs) twice. So So do you think that, so you really believe you shouldn't read Shakespeare? Yeah. I think that if you, if you have to, you should read it. Mm. But I think that it, it, if you want to pick up a Shakespeare play, you should try and find a version of it to watch, even if it's a Kenneth Branagh mm-hmm. film. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's just not the same. And I I do say I actually played She's the Man for my grade six. Oh my goodness! I'm yeah, not yeah, even yeah. kidding. And I played that yeah, first. Yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. we're watching this version first, and you're gonna know this show is funny, yeah. and then we're gonna. I act also it out. watched She's the Man in high school. Oh, when yeah. we did so it's yeah. so good, and it has like so many little hints of yeah. like Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. It's so good, but it's really challenging. Like the text is not designed for that, which which is to say, we, yeah. how else do we encounter? it I mean I do think if you can take your students to Shakespeare mm-hmm. do it that's the only way you're really going to convey to them mm-hmm. what this text really is mm-hmm. but it's not always easy how do you do that I mean it's if you're especially if you live in Chilliwack and you're driving to Vancouver to see a show it's just not yeah. that easy yeah so I don't know I mean it's uh fortunately we we have a lot of Shakespeare festivals around it mm-hmm. it's not seeming doesn't seem to be going anywhere but I hope not mm-hmm. but I I do find when I sit down to read a Shakespeare play, it's hard work. Yeah. It's not easy. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that is... Even after, mm-hmm. you know, you've done the scene multiple times, we would still find ourselves going back to the Arden version. Yeah. And, you know, sifting just to, like, double, triple check, hey, what's the punctuation like in this version? Or what's this word here? And yeah, you, you still can... consult 
back often. Yeah, anything that you can get with dense notes. And I know yeah. that No Fear Shakespeare is very ubiquitous, and I know people in classrooms use it, and people... It's a good tool. It's, it's a, a great tool. My problem with it's it is... It's one tool. My problem is it presents, like, one interpretation. Mm-hmm. And that's, can, you, that's mm-hmm. my, can you explain what that is? No Fear yeah. Shakespeare is generally, like, uh, one half of the page will show Shakespearean text, and the other modernized text. Mm-hmm. So you can look back and forth and read mm-hmm. across and go, oh, that's what they just said. That's what they just said. So much of Shakespeare is not that simple. So I, I do find that it can be challenging to use as your only tool. Mm-hmm. But as an access point, yeah, it's a it's great, a great access starting point. access yeah. point, especially for for students um, who for, are first learning Shakespeare. And for plays like yeah. Romeo and Juliet, where yeah. I think that the themes are really easy to connect with, but they just need a hook into the language yeah. a little bit. Whereas if, if you're, you know, putting on a performance piece, we mm-hmm. like having versions like the Arden and the yeah. Pelican, just to have different, because there's different interpretations and there's different punctuations. Well, editors have made, editors yeah. have made choices that, yeah, that, yeah it's, uh, it's challenging sometimes to sift through those two. To know, yeah. Um, yeah. Sometimes you just pick the one you like. I mean, the, the trouble about reading it, I find, is you'll fixate on one word. You're like, yeah. oh, what? Why does doth what does doth mean? Why is that why is that here on the middle of my page? I'm supposed to be reading English. But that is, you know, a good actor speaking Shakespeare is saying like twenty lines a minute. So that's that those words, it's not the individual words that matter, yeah. but the thoughts attached to them. And so you'll hear people like, I didn't hear everything, but I, I really understood it. And I'm yeah. like, right. Mm. And that's how it should be. Like mm-hmm. it's Sometimes Shakespeare is almost more of a collection of vowels and consonants. Yeah. It's like 80% the music of what's being spoken mm-hmm. and yeah. 20% the actual content. When I spoke the ghosts lines from Hamlet last year, and I, I was so so caught by how he wrote this line of the ghosts like a like this whale of a ghost mm-hmm. of just consonants and vowels. Revenge is, revenge is foul and most unnatural murder. Just like open sounds and closed sounds and like one long word, which is so strange. When you read it on the page, you don't get that sense mm-hmm. of, of you know, how, it, how it actually sounds to hear that and be impacted by it. Hmm. Yeah, it's great. Shakespeare's great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Best. Yeah. Would you? Will Will you always be an actor, or will you? Would you rather direct at this junction? Um, I think directing is exhausting. Or something else. <laughs> directing is very exhausting. I've only I I I've only directed one Shakespeare play, and it was like, whoa, really, really a lot of of, you know, a lot of, of hard work to put the amount of th- thinking into the whole play that you need to put into one part mm-hmm. of a play. I think I will always an actor but i i also don't think i ever have the desire to work as an actor not not seriously mm-hmm. it's just it's such a i don't know i've walked into rooms where you know 20 people look like me and we're all in the same puddle of anxiety it's just not <laughs> really a fun it's place. like constantly going to a job interview every yeah. three months you yeah and that sometimes and some people flourish in that like yeah. i've seen people in those rooms who they're picking apart the week and they're like they're like the hyena and i'm like oh man Mm. You are just like you're 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 good at what you're doing, but I just don't like how you're doing mm-hmm. it, yeah. right? Yeah. And that that to me, I mean, it, you know, an actor probably has to just be be really brave mm-hmm. and stick around long enough. Like so and many have grit. Gr- it so takes a lot of grit. So many you're, people, you're told no, you're not you're yeah. not this, you're not that. You don't look like this. You don't act like that. Yeah, it, it can take it can take a toll. And I see people, people that we knew either in high school or university who've mm-hmm. gone on to professional careers. And I'm like, really? You? 
<laughs> oh, okay. But they just stuck around long enough. Like, yeah. You just have to have to have that persistence. And and clearly, clearly, I did not. <laughs> but I, I also think. Well, we we do in a different sense. We do. It's, yeah, I, it's more focused now on one, one goal. I think to be an actor, certainly a stage actor in Canada, you have to be willing to fly to all Toronto. over yeah. the country. Calgary, yeah. Calgary, not, and Toronto for yeah. sure. It's just not not part of my. Yeah, life. Stay yeah. local. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's the best yeah. way to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. What uh, what got you both into the arts originally? Mm. At a young age, or was it? My mother said I looked at the TV and said, "I want to do that." Really? <laughs> Apparently. Really? Yeah, and and what's so funny is like I didn't seriously start doing acting until I was I think high school, so like grade eight or grade nine. Mm. Um, and uh, I specifically started going into theater. I never really had a desire to do film. I found th- I was always a theater, always a theater person. Mm. So I ended up transferring to Langley Fine Arts where yeah. I did theater, and it was like it was like an addiction. Yeah, I couldn't stop thinking about the next show and the next opportunity. Well, that was, and the so next many audition. of us, we were in, yeah. we were in. That was like a real whirlwind of production. I've never yeah. done so many shows in such a short amount of time. I was there for twelve years, so my mother thought I was an artist. And, uh, you know, I think at that time you had to, like, go to an interview and here are my drawings. And then they accepted you to the school. And uh, and I don't think my drawing improved ever since. <laughs> so, um, but but I, I did find my way into drama. But somewhere around, you know, the age of 10, I started making films, just, you know, Star Wars spoofs with my friends. Oh, nice. And, yeah, yeah. And, and uh, I still think about that time because it, it put me down a path to film for a lot of my life. And I always did theater at Fine Arts, but always kind of thought like, yeah, but I'm really a film person. And then I left left high school and briefly went to film school and, and was like, wow, I miss theater. And fortunately, you were already at UFV, mm-hmm. and so you dragged me over there. Mm-hmm. And I performed in that, that theater once upon a time in high school, too. Mm-hmm. So I knew I loved that space. And that... I I would say we both really thrived in that environment. Oh yeah, like doing the stagehands, the acting, the coursework. Yeah, and also having having a chance to really dig into classical text. I mean, they Mm -hmm. they have since then occasionally done a Greek play instead Mm -hmm. of a Shakespeare, but it is still part of their 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 modus operandi. But it's it's really interesting to be in an environment where you're surrounded by people and not mm-hmm. even in high school of fine arts did I feel that where I was like, Whoa, mm. all these artists are just like me. And I don't know. That's a really, really powerful experience. I stuck around too long. <laughs> I think <laughs> yeah, I, was university... I would disagree because I came from a regular yeah. high school yeah. um, to fine arts. And I was like, Whoa, everyone's an artist. Like I would yeah. walk down the halls and hear instruments. <laughs> I'm like, Whoa, yeah. this is like fame. It is. It is a really interesting, interesting, uh, look at how that you know art grows i i never did a shakespeare mm-hmm. play until university and my first one i was really bad in. but i <laughs> really yeah well i went back and watched the videos and i'm like oh. slipping in and out of an english accent <laughs> <laughs> like oh wow that is my young adult version of what a shakespearean actor sounds like right hmm. i love hearing different accents do shakespeare there's a great julius caesar where uh, actors are performing it with African accents. And really? It's, yeah. At, um, the, yeah, the... Um, Royal Shakespeare Company oh, did it. Oh, it's so good. And it's great. It's, it's an all-black cast doing uh, African accents. And apparently Julius Caesar is very performed in Africa because mm. it's about a dictator being overthrown by the people. Mm, right. But it's mm-hmm. also... Um, the accents and and my my wife grew up in Africa so she she has some connection to the language and the style of speaking and the language 
when it's spoken with that accent almost sounds like a modern like like dialect mm-hmm. rather than ancient, you know archaic english so it's it's quite fascinating mm-hmm. to hear the way that and to just see the way different it's cultures so take on Shakespeare that Mark too. Anthony is so good. Oh, it's great. I show that every year in my drama yeah. class. But it, it's, to me, so much of, I think, what people think about Shakespeare from afar is, oh yeah, yeah, English history. And mm-hmm. like, yes. Mm-hmm. And some of the best directors of Shakespeare were Japanese <laughs> or were from other parts mm-hmm. of the world and, and are even translations of Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. I mean, even in Shakespeare's time, there's some evidence that it was performed in Germany. So it's like, it's fascinating to see the way the world looks at it as a piece of English, you know, you know, um, uh, architecture of, of their culture. And I think it's just so embedded in pop culture. Everything mm-hmm. it's yeah. just, oh, every, yeah. it's, it's across everything yeah. we do. Yeah. And it's, and it's endured for a reason, not because someone's telling you it's good. You should go see it. Mm-hmm. I think if you, if you like literature, you will get something from mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. The bard is far abroad, as it were. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> interesting. <laughs> but that is a, that is another kind of interesting question, is how do you diversify a, a company or a, mm-hmm. a, a field which has for so long been someone a monolith, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's not within my lifetime, but certainly within, you know, within the last hundred years that Laurence Olivier played Othello in blackface to great acclaim. Mm-hmm. And so how do you, you know, take, a, take something like theater, like Shakespeare, and... And make it inclusive mm-hmm. yeah. and make sure that people feel like, you know, if a if a black performer comes to our company, I'm not going to say, oh, good, because we're doing Othello and I got a role <laughs> for you. Right? Like, I want to see someone come to our company who's a diverse actor who can play any part yeah. in the play, mm-hmm. not just the one that Shakespeare wrote, you know, with them in mind. So, yeah, yeah it's, mm-hmm. it's a fascinating question of how to do that because we also are not in maybe the most diverse part of the world. Right. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Great. Well, okay, we should probably say it when your show is on. Yes, yes. I don't think we said it on air yet. Yeah. Uh, mm. Tell us about the show. Okay, so um, this week is actually a different show. We're doing our youth camp. So we're doing mm-hmm. the Susification of Romeo and Juliet this week um, at that's Douglas Park. The, that would be um, Thursday, no, Friday, Saturday. 21st to 23rd. And then the 28th to 31st, we are at, uh, of July 2022, we're at uh, <laughs> Douglas Park in. Langley, mm-hmm. uh, right at the Spirit Square stage, and then it's August fourth to seventh. And that 7th. show at the Spirit stage is by donation. That's correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then at Eco Dairy, we are there uh, from August fourth to seventh, so four days. Yeah. That compute Thursday, Thursday, Friday, four, Saturday, five, Sunday, six, seven, seven p.m. Yeah. yeah, I've got the poster. Eco Dairy. Yep, four, five, six, and seventh at at the Eco Dairy. Mm-hmm. Um, and you yeah, get tickets online? You yeah. can get tickets online. You can find at them at our website. Bardenthevalley.com. Nice. I love your, your Instagram posts because they're always Oh, good. Fun. Thank good. you. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why should we go see Measure for Measure? You should see Measure for Measure to be challenged by a play that from 400 years ago is telling you about, you know, the problems of our world today. Mm. And I think are connecting with you and, and also to have some fun because it is cool. Yeah, it's curious. very fun. <laughs> hmm. Very silly moments as well as very serious moments. Mm-hmm. I had another question. Does it? Do you think it's? I, I was reading up on it earlier, but is it? Do you think it's true that Shakespeare wrote it as a satire against the king? It's interesting to question that because James, I mean, we don't know what his sense of humor was like, but it is in my mind very clear that um, I mean, Shakespeare was patronized by Elizabeth the mm-hmm. and then James the became his very real patron. I guess back in the day. 
um, what would it what would the what would the equivalent be today? Uh, you had to have a patron, you know, mm-hmm. in order to be an artist, in order to make a living. And so James the First, the King of England, being your patron, wow. I don't know how easy it would have been to get away with this as a satire, but it's clear that he's speaking to people in power who think of themselves as being pious. We know that 40 years after this, Mm -hmm. the Puritans are in power and theater is immoral and theater is illegal Mm -hmm. and, and that they were enforcing things like fornication and, and punishing people, not necessarily with death, but with, with criminal sentences for these things. So what does that mean? I mean, is he speaking to those people and predicting the future of England? I don't know. I think that it's easy to read Angelo, the character I play, as a Puritan, but it's also maybe too easy because you never mm-hmm. want to be able to otherize someone. I think, mm-hmm. especially as an actor, I never want to create someone who is an other on stage because then you you no longer feel a need to connect with me, right? I have to be able to be in your skin. If I can get under your skin and get to you and then you see me do something terrible and you feel challenged by that, well, that's that's pretty interesting, I think. Maybe not everyone's looking for that in a theater experience, but <laughs> probably not. <laughs> it's interesting to think that you're challenging beliefs through theater. Well, mm-hmm. and it's it, it, I mean, theater has a long history of is this here for political reasons? I mean, you don't have to look very far in the 20th century to see a lot of writers who were writing um and if the writing wasn't political in some way, then it didn't have any meaning for them. Like, why am I not writing if not to be political? And, and Or to try and change how people behave. I mean, you can look at the Greeks. Did the Greeks write Oedipus Rex to try and keep someone from, you know, marrying their mother? Who knows? I, I, I do think that theater can't exist in that realm. Like, it has to be something more human than that. It ha- can't be so overtly, I'm going to change your behavior. You're going to watch this and you'll see. I think people see through that too easily. Mm. So, I don't know. I think it has to be about more human concerns. Shakespeare does that very well. He reveals the human in all of us. I think so. I think even in the darkest villains that we don't want to love, he makes them human, which is fascinating. That's why, yeah, that's why we keep going back to these plays. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Hmm. Okay. Zach? That's all I had. Okay. Yeah. Um, this has been awesome. What, what gets you guys up in the morning? Hmm. You know, your teachers, your actors, your involved in the arts. What What's the passion? I have a lot of passion. <laughs> I'm glad. A lot of them. Um, but the biggest one um, is, it, so the reason I'm a teacher, and it connects very well to Bard in the Valley, is a sense of belonging and community, mm-hmm. um, which I just strive to build in my classroom, but as well because I get that through theater. And mm-hmm. I've always gotten camaraderie through being an actor. When you go through an experience like running a show, you go through the rehearsal process and then the performance piece, there's something unspoken in a cast, I think, of what you've been through, because it's only that cast. And when it's dismantled, it will never be the same again. You can do that show again, but it'll never be the same as that. So what gets me up in the morning, I would say my biggest passion area is to build belonging, to build community, and to to just mm-hmm. give that gift, I think, to my students as well as be a part of it through BIV. What gets me up in the morning? Well, I have a lot of board games and they always need to be organized. Mm, <laughs> I know the feeling. Now, I, um, I do think that some of the reasons that I do theater connect back to the experience I have when I when I teach in a drama classroom and I walk in and often the people who find themselves in the drama room 
don't have another place to belong and you go oh, it's I I go my people yeah. my people are here yeah. and so that space is very much I mean I remember back to my experiences in, in high school drama and and I know that you know teachers we, we give a lot to our craft and a lot to our students and sometimes mm-hmm. you know we care so much about the, the content that we're teaching I'm probably guilty of that too but certainly the, the connections with people I mean the reason I became a teacher is that I kept searching for jobs where I could interact with people, where mm. I could be using my skills to, to great effect. I'm like, why am I avoiding this? It was, a, you know, it's kind of a family business for me. I have a lot of teachers in my in my life. Why am I avoiding this? I think it's probably because it felt too much like what I had to do. And then now that I am here, I'm like, oh yeah, I do have to do this. Mm. <laughs> so it's, yeah, I, I think that there's a lot of, and a lot of my life in the arts has been this job will serve to support this art this job will serve for now until i can you know get through this play i'm i I won't say how old i am but i've had over 30 jobs in my life (laughs) and a lot of those have been just little jobs that i needed to get me through this until the run of this show or, or after this show or until i figured out what the next show was and so teaching is a career that I don't see as a patch, a patchwork piece for me. I see it as something where I, I can use my, my skills creatively and, and continue to grow mm-hmm. while also supporting my art in this in this very specific company because mm-hmm. we operate mostly in the summer. That can really, really happen on the side as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I don't know, family, friends, board games, those three <laughs> things, let's just say. <laughs> awesome. I guess I'll ask one more question. If you... If you were to have one message to someone who either has never been to a play and might want to, or someone who might want to get involved, what's something that you want to say to them? Um, I'd say that getting involved with theater is sometimes a really big risk. Mm -hmm. There's not not an easy way to guide someone to do that. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the environments are... um, a little bit more closed mm-hmm. than we would like them to be. Um, I don't know. Do you have anything to, to add to that? I mean, it was so easy for me yeah. because I was like determined and ambitious and I was like, this is what I'm doing <laughs> and I'm going to do it. Um, but I would say if there's any hesitation to just put your name forward and see what happens because yeah. or go audition. Like I think sometimes maybe the hardest part is walking through the door, but once you get there... You know, yeah. you could try it. Uh, there's a an adage in improv to to always say yes mm. and. Mm-hmm. Mm. So if you said do you want to go, you know, snowboarding out in the field and get dragged around by a truck, I go yes, and I better be wearing a parachute so that I can start <laughs> kiteboarding at the same time. <laughs> That's a little bit, a little bit maybe maybe mm-hmm. I wouldn't do that. But uh, if you are presented with an opportunity, mm-hmm. if it shows up, I would say the theater way to approach a problem like that is to say yes. Mm-hmm which is sometimes way harder than, than it should mm-hmm. be, but yes. Yes, and? And, and I, I guess if someone has never been to a play and they don't know what theater is about, it can feel a little bit impervious because you show up and you're like, why are all these people just quietly watching <laughs> these people on stage? And that's, that's very much what we expect of our audiences today, but you know, in Shakespeare's time, that was the fruit throwing at the, at the <laughs> actors. That was that time. They yeah. threw fruit. They yelled, mm-hmm. they catcalled. It was a frenzy. So 
if you want to go to theater and experience something that isn't that, you know, sit in a dark room with a bunch of strangers, mm-hmm. go see an improv show at the at the Granville Island Improv Center. Mm-hmm. Go see stand-up comedy, which is theater, really, or at least somewhat adjacent to it. Mm-hmm. I'd say there are so many opportunities to see theater that aren't that. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just, it's hard to know how to get there. You mm-hmm. need to find find out what's going on in your community and maybe right now that's harder than mm-hmm. usual but, yeah. but I, I'm I believe there's a show or a theater or a style of show for everybody it's uh and it's not just part of the western canon too right like there's I, I I don't know what kind of performances there are from different cultures going on in the Fraser Valley but I'd love to know yeah. if there are any and I'd love to see those but you can also find so much online I know it's not the same <laughs> but mm-hmm. it's, it's something to explore yeah for sure I know some of my best theater experiences were pantomime. Oh, yeah. They're great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's so much fun. Yeah. That's actually a great... Every every Christmas, you'll know there's going to be a pantomime that you can go to. Yeah. Right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So the show is this coming weekend and mm-hmm. August 4 to 7? Yes. Uh, not this coming weekend. So it's uh, the 28th to 31st right. of July. And August 4th to 7th, that one's at the Eco Dairy here in Abbotsford. Yeah. And we have a winter show as well. Yeah. yeah. For the first time ever, we will be doing Almost Maine, which is not Shakespeare. Yeah. Um, but we're considering it a fundraiser to fundraise for Cymbeline. Mm. Uh, and that one is actually kind of described as like a midwinter mm. night's tale. And it's, um, it's a beautiful script with nine different uh, scenes with two actors that kind of follow this pattern of romance and little hints of surreal magic Mm. Um, and it's a beautiful script I'm so excited to get it up and running and I think audiences are going to love it and my wife is directing Cymbeline next year and Mm -hmm. I think she would describe that as a really ridiculous fairy tale Mm -hmm. like like Shakespeare's take on a fairy tale story Mm -hmm. it's just very over the top and involves almost every trope from Shakespeare's Mm -hmm. canon you can think of you know the the people dressing up as a different gender or all kinds of different you know different pieces of Shakespeare plays are all cobbled together and it's rarely performed mm-hmm. and quite brilliant it mm-hmm. just it's really 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 long when you don't cut it. <laughs> so we're cutting it in half and yeah. then it will be accessible so yeah. awesome well I know I'll well, be there yeah in August I'll be there yeah. let's go yeah we'll see you guys there excited That's to see awesome. you in the audience because I will look right at you please and do I will say some Shakespeare to you I, can, I you. am ready to be <laughs> I'm um, ready to be moved well I feel like you've been spoiled a little bit too so don't tell anyone around you what you're gonna see because it'll be oh, interesting mm-hmm. ah that's gonna be tough I yeah. want everyone to go see it I guess people will probably hear it here too <laughs> I hope so <laughs> I hope so yeah awesome thank you guys so much for yeah. coming yeah. on the show thanks for having us this has been amazing I wasn't sure if we were gonna get two hours of just talking about Shakespeare but we did I, it I was not, I'm not worried longer. anymore <laughs> just to go down the just to go down the movie trail for just one moment yes, yeah please. please original Mad Max or Mad Max Fury Road I'm gonna say Fury Road yes yeah I think I would too oh, yeah. only because the, the the director created Fury Road because he couldn't do what he wanted to do when he made the originals mm. but now he can and boy, can he. That movie is just out of sight. I, I, I love the original for a lot of reasons, but man, that modern one. The the technology wasn't there. The special effects weren't there. Mm-hmm. It just, they're great, the originals, but this was his, his claim to fame. This was his yeah. everything that he wanted in the originals in this one. Do you appreciate Tom Hardy's like grunting acting through the whole thing? I appreciate all of Tom Hardy's <laughs> grunting and everything he does. Fair enough. I... 
yeah. He's anything where his like face is covered is somehow better. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. But well, that's not true. We need to get him into a season of Mandalorian. That's what we need. Ooh. Oh. <laughs> that's true. We were actually just talking about that. The fact that we've proven that you can make quality film or cinema or television and you don't have to see anybody's face. I know. Mm. You do. Not at all. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. Oh, that makes me think about the uh, the movie Lock with Tom Hardy, mm. where the entire movie is filmed with him in his car. Oh, wow. And it's really good wow. for some reason. When was that movie made? Oh, uh, It was like mid-2010s. Yeah, oh, 2015 okay. Okay. or something yeah. like that. Oh, interesting. It was like when everybody was making those like one-location yes. movies. Like There was a lot of them. That came, it came out around the same time as Buried with Ryan Reynolds. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. One, yeah. It's riveting, actually. You know, he's just... he's driving in his car for an hour and a half and it's suspenseful and interesting and you end up loving the characters and he talks on the phone a couple times but it mostly it's just him driving and looking out the windshield and going through this experience now i must see this film yeah please do yeah. okay <sighs> Yeah, <laughs> right. I love that we fit, we slipped movies yeah. right at the end. Oh, right at the end, just a tiny dose. Just had to go back to <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, that right. is uh, all we had. Thank you again Thank for coming you. on. Thank you, and yeah. we'll see the show, folks. <laughs>